What is going on, everyone? This is Miles Dompierre, and welcome to the 99th episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Today, I am stoked to be joined for the first time by Gene Park, games reporter for Washington Post. Gene, how are you doing on this fine Saturday? How's it going, Miles? Uh, uh, honored to be on the 99th episode. I, I, I feel like 99 is a good number. Even like 100 would be cool, you know. And I'm interested to see who who make the 100th 100th episode. Congratulations on 99 episodes so far. That's amazing. yeah. Thank you for joining for 99. 99 is a nice, strong, powerful number. So appreciate mm -hmm. you filling that spot. Yeah, um, it's 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 the year of my my high school graduation too. So I'm class of '99. Oh, so. beautiful! Love that. Well, I'm excited to sit down with you. This is our first time to really sit down on in a podcast format and talk about the games industry. And this year's a good year to do it. There's a lot to discuss. So we're going to be diving but, into. We've never met actually too. So that's interesting. So yeah, a pleasure to meet you officially. Meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've shared memes on Twitter and we you know DM'd here and there. But you know, it's it's nice to. Put a face in the name and sit down and talk. So I'm excited. Exactly, man. So we're going to be diving into the possibilities of a mid-generation refresh, a PS5 Pro, and an Xbox Series X Ultra. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking about the glowing reviews of Resident Evil 4. We'll be talking about impressions of the Diablo 4 beta. We're going to be talking about the latest developments surrounding the Activision Blizzard acquisition, discussing whether or not 2023 is going to be the year for Xbox Game Pass, and so much more. But before we get into all of that, Gene, for the lovely folks joining us, let us know who you are, where we can find you, and why you love gaming. Yeah, uh, my name is Gene Park. Uh, I've been a, 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 a journalist at the Washington Post for a, about eight years now. I'm going eight years next month. Uh, two of those years, well, two, three years of, of those years was as a games journalist. I've never covered games before. I only started at the very tail end of 2019. And just kind of throw threw myself in there, uh, but part of that is because the Washington Post uh, did have an interest in in covering video games as a different section altogether, and I was part of the audience team. Uh, the audience team advises different sections ac across the across the organization to find audiences, right? Um, so I was advising uh, them on on how to how to be best cover video games. Uh, initially, the launcher was supposed to be. Uh, launcher is was the name of the section. Um, it was supposed to be only covering esports, and I advise guys. I don't think we should only cover esports. Uh, part of part of the problem is that a lot of esports organizations do pretty well on themselves and like announcing in news information and blah blah blah. So you know, really the only thing left would be like accountability stuff and anything like that. So I don't think we should only focus on esports because that would just be a nothing section and they took my <laughs> advice and then and then after that after all that advice session they were like well we should hire somebody and it's like well we already have gene so we should just hire him and they're like okay so uh, just all of a sudden i was like oh i, I guess i'm a gaming journalist now which is, which is <laughs> great it's not something that i ever wanted to be um i I've only, I've only been a regular ass newspaper local newspaper journalist for most of my 20 years as, as a professional journalist um but it's not something that I didn't want to be. I I just never thought that it would ever happen, um, and it just did. Um, so that's one. You can find me on Twitter at Gene Park. Uh, I'm also on Twitch. Uh, also again, Gene Park. I'm very e I'm very easy to find on the internet. I make it I make it easy. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely one of those folks who you know I I'm a, I'm a I'm a social media pro. So every time there's a new platform up, I'd always be squatting on my name, Gene Park. Um, you know, unfortunately, on Facebook, I actually. 
I, I remember the day when I was stuck in traffic and I couldn't go back home to, to lock in facebook.com slash gene park. So it was just facebook.com slash gene park. Don't <laughs> add me on Facebook. I never use Facebook anymore. So don't worry about that. So <laughs> Beautiful. And then the most important question, Gene, is, is why, hey, do why, do love love why do you love gaming? Why do I love gaming? Uh, God, there's so many answers to that. But I just think that it's just the most intoxicating, engaging uh, uh, medium of entertainment and art, and art form there is. Um... You know, books are great. I've been reading books for as long as I could read. Uh, films are great. TV is great. But, like, there's nothing really quite like a video game that just locks my brain in and takes me away, you know. Um, it's, to, to me, the greatest distraction in, in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I like, it's amazing. The, the games have only gotten better, you know, honestly, mm -hmm. over over the decades you know uh, like I, I we're about to talk about resident evil 4 if you showed me resident evil, the way resident evil 4 looks now back in 2005 I, i'd be like you're you're in, you're an insane person that's that's a movie you know what is this witchcraft you're presenting to me all right exactly you know like i grew up in the days of metal gear solid and i was like that looks like a movie to me and like you know uh back in the day and like that you know and we've just advanced so far right now you know not just in terms of technology but in terms of the different style of play we have, you know, the different uh, genres. There's so many different subgenres that they all seem like nonsense now. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and, and we're looking at 2023, which I think is going to be a red-letter year for, for the games industry. It's going to be one of those years where I think a lot of people are going to remember. Yeah, it's it's exciting. provided that everything comes out on release, you know, provided that there's no more delays, please. There's a lot of ethereal, there's a lot of non-release dates. There's a vague year now is kind of the trend. You you give a vague year and then, you know, you see where you're at and then yeah, maybe yeah. about 3 months out you say, "Okay, here's the release date." We we know yeah, for sure Forza, it's Forza coming Motorsport, in 3 months. Come on. Okay, come on. You can do it this year for Motorsport, please. You can do it. They yeah. they're not sure when. It's it's coming. Yeah. It's 2023. Um but yeah, Gene really appreciate you i appreciate the way you you cover not only the the games industry but just the journalism in, in general and you bring a lot of um openness to the conversation which i think is really important because a lot of people kind of have assumptions about every, how everything works and it's nice to have those conversations with the community that's something you do very frequently is you're, you're out there you're having the conversation about video games and mm -hmm. you know like you touched on Video games is this unique medium that does something that nothing else can. And I think we all have that specific moment or that game that we can point to that said, this, if this is video games, I'm all in. So do you have a specific game you can point to that is that for you? Man, that's a great question. And I was actually honestly thinking about that last night. So it's interesting, like, and you didn't even like preview this question for me, but I was thinking about like, what is the game that like really did it for me? And uh, it's either Resident Evil One or Metal Gear Solid, um, and it was. And I, I, I'm leaving towards Metal Gear Solid because uh, Met, I, I, there was a huge hiatus in high school where I just wasn't playing video games at all. Like I didn't even know Resident Evil Two came out until like a year later, you know. Um, and then when I when I saw my friend playing Metal Gear Solid, I was like. Wait, there's so much talking and like and then i sort of started to absorb the story and i was like this is amazing like I, I can't believe this video games can do this now this is incredible um but you know there's also like final fantasy 6 which like moved me moved me to tears back then way like 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 a decade two decades before the last of us ever did you know so you know that's why i like i feel old and like 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 and kind of 
chastened because like you know like the last of us is a great story and, and it definitely moved me but it definitely wasn't the first game to, to ever do that you know um but uh yeah you know i like like those are probably the three games that i probably point to immediately is final fantasy 6 resident evil and metal gear solid um i mean those but, are all all-time classics for sure and i'm glad you touched on the, the video game storytelling because yeah it's interesting to see what the each generation's kind of cultural zeitgeist for video game storytelling is. I feel like this past generation, it's going to be The Last of Us. For your generation, a lot of people point to Metal Gear Solid as that, oh, damn, like video mm -hmm. games can be so much more than what I thought they could be when it comes mm -hmm. to storytelling. And so I think that's a great shout out for like, yeah, you know, there have been great video game stories for a long time now. Last of mm -hmm. Us is, is a recent example. And, you know, I think when we have those moments, as much as people want to downplay it and say oh last of us um it it elevates the entire industry in terms of the conversation because then you have you it see those t TikToks where people are like oh damn i didn't know video games had a good story like i've been playing like <laughs> why y'all lying to me about video games like okay come on now i just saw that i that that poor girl uh the, if, you, if you guys don't know there's this girl on TikTok who was who who really just didn't say the right words because she was <laughs> yeah. saying about how how gamers have been gatekeeping and it's like yeah you know you know obviously some gamers do gatekeep but like I think the problem is that we're a little too eager to 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 talk about like what stories are, are amazing but she's like you know like like you guys video gamers have been hiding away the best the best stories ever you know after watching The Last of Us so tell me hit me with your best recommendations and it's like oof like. You know, like I like I I appreciate her, and I I I appreciate her her interest in in games, and that and and that's what The Last of Us does, right? Like, and the 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 show and the the game, that it that it elevated the medium enough to where other certain people can can start paying attention to it too. You know, exactly. Um, so so yeah, so in that regard, yeah, everyone's like, oh, The Last of Us is so like trite and like know uh, uh cliche, and it's like, yeah, it is, but like, there's a lot to it, and I think the show has proven that out. That there's a lot to the story that that popular, the popular general audience would really, really be drawn to, and it has worked. It's worked. The it's worked. Was, it's like, been a huge hit for HBO. Hit. One of their biggest yeah, hits people, ever. People who never experienced the story before, they're like, "This is a, an amazing story. This is an amazing show." Like they didn't see the twist coming. Like I've been watching YouTube reactors uh, watch the show, and it's like none of them see it coming. They think Joel is going to come save the day when you know that doesn't happen. So like you know, all the expectations that were subverted back in 2013 are still being subverted now with mm -hmm. the same tools, you know. And it's interesting to see. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So that that's beautiful. I I really appreciate that. Um, some quick housekeeping before we get into the show proper today. If you haven't joined, Xbox Chatter Days now has a little Discord going. So there's a link in the description if you're interested in hanging out. We do a community Q and A at the end, and then we're just in there talking about movies, games, and music. If you're interested. Um, channel member shoutouts. We got Derek Griffin Jones, Patrick, V Simcoe, Synodex, Anthony, Nick W, and Assassin, and some extra special producer shoutouts to Hargeet Chani and Mr. Joanna Dark. All right, Gene, we got to dive into the game of the week, the game that everyone's been talking about, one of the most highly anticipated releases of the year, and that's Resident Evil 4. Um, going into the announcement of this, I was a huge fan of the original. I was a huge fan of what Capcom had done with Resident Evil 2 Remake and Resident Evil 3 Remake. So I was excited about the possibilities here. And a lot of us have been looking at this game and looking at Capcom with some optimism and some skepticism about the need or the necessity to remake this 
all-time classic. One of one of the best reviewed, one of the most beloved games ever. Capcom was going to go and try to rekindle that magic and, and recapture that magic. So you handled the review for Washington Post, and I don't want to speak too much for you, but it sounds like you walked away very happy with your time with Resident Evil 4 Remake. So going into all of this, where did you stand with Resident Evil 4 and the idea of a remake? Yeah, uh, when, uh, when uh, the rumors were starting to come around, you know, you can even search my tweets uh, that I was pretty skeptical of it. I was, I was definitely part of the folks who were like, you know, I don't think it really needs a remake. I think the original holds up still pretty well. And like, I don't know what else you could do to it other than just add the twin stick controls and that's it, you know. Um, and then I saw the trailer, the announcement trailer, and I saw the vibe and the mood that they were going for. You know, uh, I saw how dark the castle was this mm -hmm. time. And I was like, you know what? I can see that. I can see having a really good time with that. Even even if they really just remade and they didn't do this, but even if they just remade the entire game like 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 per square inch, the same thing with just like these high high resolution RE engines, uh, 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 lighting and 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 textures and everything like that, I still would have been done with it. But the fact that they went in and they were able to remix and 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 reimagine so many different areas of the game. Uh, to 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 make it different enough that I I feel confident that I think this version of Resident Evil Four is a different game than the original game, and I say that as someone who's who's now actually playing both versions of Resident Evil Four at the same time this week. Uh, last night I was up until three a.m. Uh, uh, playing the Steam version, which is the, probably the only version of Resident Evil Four I haven't played yet, um, because I was just like I don't need a buy it on steam why, why do i need to buy it on steam and then after that i was like i should just play it on steam now too because i have a steam deck that i'd be it'd be a lot of fun to play it on the steam deck too i you know i played i played also played on the switch i played on the xbox 360 played on the ps4 played on the ps3 played on the gamecube played on the ps2 i i, I had the ios version uh, when, when that was still available and i played that too um so uh what was i saying um yeah i just think that um now it's just, yeah, I was just telling you earlier, now I just have two really amazing, almost perfect games, pretty much perfect games in Resident Evil 4. And they're, they're, they're different enough. And, you know, if a lot of people have been asking me, what order should I play them in? You know, and before I would tell you, you need to play the first one. You need to play the original one first, right? Now I can actually feel like I can say, you know what? I think it might be fun to, to go into the, to, to the new one first. See what you like. See what's interesting about it. And if you play the original, and if you're open to the to, con to the control scheme, it's not that hard to get used to these days. If you're open to how the how the control scheme works. You'll find a lot of surprises in the original one too. That will that like it's like the original game is subverting the expectations of the remake. You know, <laughs> because there's, because there's so much different in both versions that like you think something's going to happen because of your experience in remake you think something's going to happen in the 2005 version and something completely different happens you know but it's still within that same mood and like architecture of like that room and like what it looks like and everything like that but there's like surprises so many surprises within that I can't I really don't even want to spoil because so yeah I just really think that you can't go wrong either way you know that's that's something I love about Resident Evil 4 remake I didn't handle our review so I'm only I think 4 or 5 hours in but mm. what I love about it is that much like Resident Evil 2, there's these moments and these areas that when you go back and play the original, you've, you feel that nostalgia. You remember every nook and cranny, every detail of this spot. And then when you progress through a remake, you hit a point where you're like, 
oh wait, I recognize that object. I recognize mm -hmm. this structure. And then you start to look around and it's this completely redesigned, reimagined version of this small st static square of the original game. And they do that mm -hmm. time and time again, where it's almost like I could have went through that section and maybe not even realized it was the exact same section from the original. Um, but there are all these clever details sprinkled throughout that kind of, you know, pay respect to the original, but also move it forward. And like you mm -hmm. said, one of my favorite things so far have been the surprises where you go through a sequence of events and you've played the original, you know what's supposed to happen. You know where you're supposed to go. You know what's going to happen when you do X and Y. They, they mm -hmm. throw stuff in between that just shakes it up that was not in the original in any way. And like you said, I don't want to ru ruin any surprises, but there are so many moments where it's just this cool, oh, damn, that is not something that ever happened in the original. And that's a cool twist to this, this story that I know and love. Yeah, and sometimes they move events. So some, so I'm like, oh, so I know that in three chapters this is gonna happen. Oh no, it's happening right now. You know, like like sometimes they would just move yeah. events around and and circumstances around where uh, it's like that's not supposed to happen yet. But now I have to face this. This is crazy. You know, then and completely unexpected. And then if you go back to the 2005 original, you again your expectations based on your remake experience will be completely subverted because like there's all kinds of weird shit happening in there too, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's just it, like it, like Capcom has really nailed this magic of like remaking something and never really, never really uh 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 uh, uh making the old version outdated, you know. Uh, the, 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 I I just bought the Steam version of the 2005 Steam version last night. And it's still there. You can still buy that. They're, they're not. They're, they're not. They're not doing the Rockstar thing of like, oh, well, now now we got these GTA three trilogy remasters. <laughs> so I guess you don't need other. These old sorry, ones. other versions. You're getting pulled. Yeah, the other versions that were better, anyways, and like like you know like already modded out and 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 everything. You know, um, Capcom is like, no, like these are two different games. I wish that they would just re-release the original trilogy on modern platforms. Like like. The only way we can play the original Resident Evil Director's Cut on modern platforms is, you know, on the PS5 like premium tier or whatever. Um, I really wish that they would just re-release Resident Evil One, Two, and Three uh, uh, everywhere, you know, on Steam, on on Switch, everywhere, you know. Yeah, that would be such a cool little collection. The original, not not the re remakes. The original mm -hmm. Resident Evil One, Two, and Three would be a fun little retro collection because it's good to go back and understand what's changed and what the differences are. And like you talked about earlier in the show, the evolution that happens so fast, like mm -hmm. it makes me feel a little old to know that resident evil four is 18 years old. Cause I remember when that game was brand new and I remember playing that game on GameCube. Mm -hmm. and much like mm -hmm. you, after playing the remake, I went back and started replaying four again. And like you said, if you can get past the control scheme, which is by today's standards, a little weird, a little dated. Um, mm -hmm. There's such a great experience there, and it is so much different in so many ways. Um, so that's one thing that I've really kind of, for me so far, that's been the greatest strength of Resident Evil 4 is that it isn't, it's one-to-one -one in a lot of ways, but it still is a completely different experience than what I, what I even remember the original. Yeah, you're so early too. Uh, are, are you at the castle yet? I'm not at the castle yet. No. Okay. Yeah, because the castle really, really like like mixes things up. Where I was just like, I have no idea where I'm at. Like where, like I, I like I was like, I think I know what's in the next room, because I've memorized the original Resident Evil Four so well. And then I go into the next room, and I was like, what is going on? What is this? <laughs> so I do, I do not understand this, and I'm and now I'm scared. I'm I'm actually caught off guard. And like, look, Resident Evil Four actually shook me a couple times. Where I was just like, I was like, oh my god, like. 
to be fair, Resident Evil 2 Remake is a scarier and better, like a more survival horror experience. You know, I was watching old old videos of Mr. X and I was like, you know what? You can't top Mr. X. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like that's... Like, just an like, icon, dude. Yeah, Mr. X is a mechanic. It's just like iconic. And like, you know, they, they couldn't really recreate that in Resident Evil 4 because there's no constant pursuer mechanic. What's interesting is that each of the enemies in the AI, they all follow you everywhere. Uh, 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 so it's like little Mr. X's like all over the place, you know, um, and, and at least in terms of the AI, because that's what the team actually told me when I interviewed them. They, they, they said that the, the biggest challenge they, they had in making Resident Evil 4 is that They've never had this many enemies act this smart before. You know, Resident Evil Village was, was one thing, but Resident Evil 4 has pe- basically people, you know? Um, and eventually at the end, like, you know, I don't think it's spoilers, but like you basically fight a paramilitary, you know? So it's like a paramilitary zombie force. And it's like <laughs> they're, 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 they're thinking, they're moving, they're shooting, they're, they're using web, they're using heavy machinery. So it's like, you know, like the lichens in, in Resident Evil Village were, you know, like feral and like they'll, 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 they'll come at you. But like the, the, the Granado and the, the, the troopers in Resident Evil 4, they're Call of Duty soldiers, basically. So they got to they gotta move and they got to swarm you. So uh, that was one of the interesting things I found out about the, the, the making of Resident Evil 4. That they, find, they found that the AI challenge was probably the, the, the deepest challenge that they had. Yeah, and even if you've played the chainsaw demo, you can feel it in the way that all of these enemies react on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you have enemies that are like aware of their other enemies, and you have the chainsaw guy who will just power through anything in sight. But then when you're aiming at them, you know, they have the classic thing where, you know, in the original, they would cover their face if you aimed at their head. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a lot more organic and dynamic in this, where it wasn't like the same predictable animation every time. And even when it comes to Leon's character, when certain things fly by him, he flinches. Or when people swing at him, he like subtly moves out of the way. So there's a lot yeah, of when you do the like, dives, you know, yeah. It's crazy, there's a lot know. of really like there's automated details that happen that really kind of elevate every moment of of action in this game. And the original, the action always felt great, but it didn't have those systems. And yeah. Leon now gets winded. He gets he gets tired. If he's stressed or if he's hurt, that will uh, impact his breathing and his and his um, body language. So they spend a lot of time on these little subtle details that really really make it such a cool way to replay this just classic game. Yeah, sometimes like when Leon just like firing so much, like he'll just like stretch his arm out. I'm like, yeah, man. Like sometimes if you just shoot a gun too much, you just need to be like, stretch it out, man. Yeah. And and Leon will stretch it out. And I'm like, man, this feels so cool. Like, I can't believe Leon is just like stretching. And Ashley is awesome too. I I I I you know, I don't know her name, but the voice talent for Ashley did such a great job and kind of. You know, the original Ashley was was a little cartoonishly, you know, like a screaming girl, you know, which is which I love. I love her so much. You know, I I, I love that she does that. But and this actually kind of retains that essence without like having that 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 same squeaky voice. But like just someone who's like really concerned about Leon, basically, you know. Yeah, that's important. You know, Leon's putting himself in a lot of perilous situations. You know, things could go wrong for him at any moment. So the fear is understandable. Yeah, and 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 you know, uh, uh, you can you can tell that all the one-liners are a trauma response, basically. You know, and they don't they don't really say that because, but but they do start the game off that Leon is traumatized by the events of what happened in Resident Evil Two, and then he just starts joking, and it's just like, so I can't help but think that like this game is telling me that this is how he deals with his trauma, that just to, just to say these one-liners, and oh my god, like he has so many new one-liners in this game, uh, the they... castle. 
the castle, he goes crazy. Like he just like <laughs> says all kinds of crazy shit. So. See, that blows all my crazy, mind. All kinds of crazy shit is happening in the castle, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> the one critique I have is that, like, you know, uh, and speaking of the quips, is that the other villains don't quip as much. Oh, um, no. And Leon Salazar takes up and... all the quip real estate. He does. He does. Salazar and Sadler are, are both a lot more serious. Like like in the original game, they they would like trade insults. It was like a battle rap between like like Leon and like the villains, you know. Um, and uh, you know they'd be like, oh, well, what, like this long exchange of Sadler and like, oh, well, this doesn't fill fit into the film script, doesn't it? And Leon would be like, well, you are a bad director. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that doesn't really happen in in the remake, sadly. Yeah. And that's that, that's kind of what I miss, but I get what they're doing. Uh, so it is kind of funny to see Leon being the only person joking his ass off throughout the whole game. Um, but it also it also makes it a little bit more charming too. And then the merchant is there too, and he has so many like new lines that are like that are so memorable now um and i'm not going to repeat them i just want people to to, to discover like what the lines are and yeah because that was a concern people weren't stoked when they changed the voice actor of the merchant because his voice quips in the original are so so iconic yeah it's changed it people are like oh no changing mario's like woohoo you know like Uh like what are you buying needs to be there, you know? And he, he says it, but, like, it needs to be in that same intonation. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, as I'm playing the game, I, I totally just get used to this guy, this, this new guy's voice, too. And it just becomes, again, part of the background. It, again, he's just a new version of the merchant, you know? I think it's fun. I think that I like that they've mixed up the characters enough that they weren't like, well, this is the cliche that everyone remembers this character to sound like. They were like, well, how do we reinvent that? What's, what's a more modern, upbeat version of that look like? And yeah. I am a little disappointed that salazar maybe doesn't have the quips that he that he once had but like you said leon as you're playing even when it's not a scripted moment he's constantly saying dumb things to himself oh my god did you see that and i'm like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, leon i did see that like like, i have a clip that i want to post but i don't think that that, uh, capcom will let me but once i do you know it's just like 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 res leon will open a bathroom door and there's a zombie taking a shit and then the zombie gets, stands up and gets attacks Leon, and Leon shoots him in the head, uh, like like me as Leon, I shoot him in the head, kick his he- kick his head off, and Leon says, "Not bad, right?" I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> "Dude, oh, one of my the what one of my favorites about, still is when he's, you know, the big opening sequence in the village when Chainsaw Man comes out, and there's the cow in the barn, and the cow was always in the barn, but now you yeah. can shoot the lantern above it, and it drops yeah. down." sets the cow on fire and the cow starts charging around and leon's line for that send me a bill for the repairs yeah, bill, just... bill me later for the repairs or whatever i'm like like this is insanity there's a cow on you, fire you lit a cow on a fire of, you lit a cow on fire it is stampeding across these crazy villagers and then the, the only thing you have to say is bill me for the repairs <laughs> later like what is going on like it just only adds to like how chaotic uh. and like insane and like like this is like this is Looney Tunes crap, you know? It's crazy. It's lunacy. That's what it is. That's, 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 that's what Looney Tunes means, you know? It's lunacy. Leon, you, know? you watched the cow burn alive, and that's the line. <laughs> Come you, on. you you set the cow on fire. You did that yourself. Oh, dude, that I, one's I, still. I just, I just can't believe it. It's incredible, you know? So like, there's a lot of moments like that where it's just like, Leon, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> that's uh, and that's what I love. It makes it feel like. I guess some people, myself included, were maybe worried that the, the humor would be gone completely. That's, that yeah. is part of the charm of Resident Evil 4 is it's weird. It's, 
outright dumb at times, but that makes it feel like a video game, like a, just a true classic video game in the sense that this is, on, these things would only happen in this format. As we touched yeah, on absolutely. earlier, there are things that can only exist and work in a video game. And I think that's what's beautiful about Resident Evil 4 is some of these ideas, if you put them in anything else, if you put them in a movie, for example, uh, it would just be terrible. It would be so terrible. But in the context of the game, it works. And so yeah. when they showed the darker tone, the reveal trailer was gritty. I was like, are they, what's the, what's the approach here? And then the newer trailers were like, oh, here's the minecart. Here's Salazar. Here's the knife fight with Krauser. All, the crowd pleasing stuff that you know and love is there. We're just, we're, we're mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, uh, it's great you said about like this is so unique to video games, you know, because you know as much as I complain about like the kind of like the uh, slightly pared back tone of the silliness, it's still very silly, right? This is still a video game where a really great piece of advice that you give to any player is flashbang grenade the birds for lots of money. That's you. You should always remember to do that. If you see a bunch of birds together and you have a flashbang grenade. Just toss it in there. You're gonna get the you're gonna you're gonna get your grenade back, and you're gonna get thousands of dollars, and it's gonna be great. And imagine if a movie did that, you know? Yeah, imagine a movie where a movie, man. You know? Imagine, yeah, a, a movie where uh, let's use the, Dwayne Johnson as an example. Dwayne Johnson is in an action movie. He's fighting off invaders. Then he sets a cow on fire, and you watch the cow run around in flames <laughs> during the yeah, scene, yeah. and then he says. Bill me for the repairs later. <laughs> yeah, he do his little rock thing. It'd be a great movie. I would watch the hell out of it. Um, and I guess that's why, it, like, I always admired the Paul Anderson Resident Evil movies. They had nothing to do with the fucking games, and they just like, like, he's clearly just making like this mega, mega series for his wife and everything. Uh, but I just appreciated how insane like they went because they were just like I feel like they kind of like lived up to the Resident Evil like spirit of like just being about whatever you know and just about monsters. Um, I'm glad they're over, but you know like like during their run they were they were they were fun to watch for sure. Exactly, it was it was because yeah. Resident Evil One in particular set the cheese bar really high. Like, yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> the live action cutscenes in there, the the dialogue, everything about Resident Evil One is cheesy. It was horrifying at the time. It was a game when I first played it. I could only play in like twenty minute bursts because I was too yeah. scared. It was, it was scary at the time. Yeah, that's that, that's this... how, that's how little we had it back then. Is that like the cheesiness of Resident Evil was still really scary? You know? Yeah. Back then, Resident Evil One, which you play now, is just comical. That was the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm, that rocked mm -hmm. my world to its core i couldn't believe that this this weird scary game was here and then meanwhile you're just you're fighting a giant spider talking about the jill sandwiches you have just p characters dying that you don't care about at all but Rebecca! still <laughs> like, like chris has that little or not chris but one of the guys who died just has that little moan at the end when he's like yelling rebecca and it's like oh god what's going on <laughs> <laughs> love it oh it's beautiful um so I'm seeing some people bring up this in, in a super chat here, and I, that was one of my next questions. So yeah, I'll address yeah, yeah. this one now. We got Mr. Joanna Dark, who says, Good hello man. to the GOAT, Miles Dompierre, also to his awesome guest, Gene. Should Capcom tackle Code Veronica next? Second, what direction do you think Capcom should take RE9, or would you like to see it go? All right, let's start with the first question, because that was going to be my question to you is, which Resident Evil game gets the RE make treatment next? 
I, it really feels like they're ignoring Code Veronica altogether. Um, <laughs> like, it, it really feels. It really yeah. feels like they don't want to talk about it. I don't know what's going on there. I don't. I. I. I don't know why they feel like it's some kind of dark secret. Like, to be fair, it hasn't really aged well. You know, like it, it's depiction of 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 people who who who, who cross dress, you know, and everything like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's a little bit of of, of gay panic there. So they would, and the, the same goes in Resident Evil Five. Uh, and people have asked me why. Why do you think Resident Evil Five racist? You know, and it's like I don't think it's racist at the beginning, but it gets kind of dicey. Not, not. I wouldn't even call it racist, but it's pretty problematic and dicey at, at in the middle part when when you start going into the villagers and it's just a bunch of unga bunga uh, zombies <laughs> uh, coming at yeah, you. Yeah, that. That bit kind of takes you by surprise. You're like, oh, okay, we're it's, doing it, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I, I, I think there's good ways to to kind of reimagine to go around both both of those things, you know. And I think they will because they feel it feels like Capcom is really taking, you know, uh, some of that feedback to heart. You know, like like you know, no one's like, you know, saying try, trying to pick up Ashley in Resident Evil Four anymore. You know, Ash, Ashley is very flirtatious, which I love. You know. But but you know for the most part people leave Ashley alone. So I do think that uh, they're probably going to do something interesting with the, the the next few games too. But it, do, it does feel like that they're 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 ignoring Code Veronica. And honestly, and I I said this uh, yesterday that when you play Resident Evil Four and you get to the Luis Serra parts uh, where he's fighting alongside you, I really felt like I was playing Resident Evil Five. Yes. Like, like, like this, I was like, this is an yeah. early Resident Evil Five because it's like. Like a zombie will be coming at you, like lunging at you, and then he will be like, and then and then he'll be like, Leon, that's for you. And then like you would go do a melee, and you'll be like, that's awesome, man. That's that's exactly the co-op uh, uh, action that Resident Evil Five had, where like Sheva would uh, Sheva would would just set something up for you, or you would set something up for Sheva. Um, I totally, you know, I I know that we we all complain about Resident Evil being co-op back in the day, but like. Like look, those games were really, really fun, you know, Resident Evil Five and Six all together. So yes, you know, Gene, cool. speak yeah. on it because some people hate Resident Evil Five, and yeah, no, I've always I'm held not. the belief that Resident Evil Five is not a great horror game, but it is one of the best co-op games. And I'm it's probably the greatest co-op game ever made, you know, or definitely one of them, you know. I've replayed that game more times than any Resident Evil, hands down, even 4. Like, Resident Evil 5, I have replayed that over and over, and that was the game that set that gold standard of, like, kind of replayability. Resident Evil has always had it in some capacity, but that was the one where they just had that loop and that hook, and you had... I an ins- Resident Evil 5 so much, too, yeah. I'm playing it right now. I started a new run with a friend the other day because we were, you That's know... awesome excited about resident evil 4 remake feeding on that resident evil energy and i went back and played i was like this game still kicks ass like it still kicks ass it's so good i I just played last year yeah for sure like you said there are areas where you're like yikes you can't you really can't do that anymore and Mm -hmm. there was the whole controversy surrounding the launch where they had to like adjust things because the early builds of that game people were like whoa hold on this is not going to be interpreted well so yeah there's, yeah, there's some baggage and some stuff they would need to work out. But like you said, the second I saw the Luis Serra parts in the trailers and the second I saw the overhauled Ashley system, I was like, though, mm-hmm. Resident Evil 5 is next, baby. This is yeah, yeah they're yeah, setting that groundwork. They're, they're totally setting that groundwork. They're totally like training and like like setting the foundation for, for how Resident Evil 5 is going to work. And, and I, mm. I'd be super excited for it. I play Mercenaries uh, co-op in Resident Evil 5 and 6 so much fun it's so, so much, much fun. fun it's it's so good it's so yes good. okay that, love that, that. that's when you really really unlock the potential of like the combat system in these games you know 
uh, and you, and you see how deep they go, you know. And like one thing I, I I see a lot a lot of new people playing the Resident Evil Four Chainsaw demo, and I see a lot of new people just shooting zombies, and it's like, no, you gotta you gotta kick them, man. Like like the whole point shoot of the them game, in the knees and kick them. Shoot them in, shoot them in the knees, pop them in the head, and and then set up that melee so you can get you know the three or four zombies in, in the same roundhouse kick, and like like you're like trust me, your kicks will hit harder than a bullet will, you know. Another thing I really love about that's the beauty about this being a video game that yeah. your kicks will hit harder than the than, than the gun bullet will, you know. Yeah, they <laughs> set that tone right at the beginning of the game when Leon roundhouse kicks a man to death. Yeah, like, and the, his neck. Yeah, you know. So they're it's letting you know, kick, you know, Leon's been working on himself. All right, he's been working yeah. on his moves. He's been hitting the gym, and he can roundhouse kick a person to death. Okay. <laughs> I love that that's how they introduced Leon in this game. I'm like, man, all right, let's go. Hey, yeah, he's, he's, he's been doing some Secret Service training for sure, you know. So, Mr. Joanna Dark, love him, friend of the show. He constantly baits me when it comes to Code Veronica because I know Code Veronica is beloved by a lot of people. It's always been one of my least favorite Resident Evil games. I put it in the, in the same tier as Zero where it's like, I don't want to ever play it again. I played it once. I tried to replay Code Veronica because it's on Xbox via backwards compatibility. God, six months ago, I just couldn't. I made it like an hour and a half in. I'm like, this game still sucks. I, I yeah. just can't. It's, it has the worst opening in any Resident Evil ever by a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it is the dumbest, most nonsensical opening for Resident Evil. And that's saying something, all right? This series is dumb. Mm -hmm. It's synonymous mm -hmm. with dumb. And like Code Veronica, I don't know. I know, ever, I know people like it, but when people are said, oh yeah, do Code Veronica next, I'm like, no, please, just leave that in the past and go to what's next. It's, just, I, it's, it's a cool story. That's all people want, you know? And it's like, you know what? Just remake Code Veronica into a movie or something, you know? Like, yeah, make like, it a straight to Netflix CG yeah, thing. Yeah, make it a straight to Netflix CG thing. Like, that That would be fun. It would be fun to see Wesker, in, 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 you know, and, and, and do his Matrix shit and everything like that. So, yeah. And Resident Evil Zero, too. I'm totally with you there. I tried I tried replaying that uh, last year. I was like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't do this anymore. I, I already did this once. I, I, or like twice or a few times back in the day. I was like, I'm not gonna do this right now. I'm Gene, sorry. Gene, and I on the same page with Resident Evil. I appreciate that because people tell me often, I don't like the, I don't like the co-op Resident Evil. I'm like, let's go. I've been wanting co-op Resident Evil for so long. As soon as yeah. they started doing like Resident Evil Two remake, I was like, oh. Maybe there's hope for five. Maybe we'll get a new co-op. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a new co-op game. Cause ah, yeah. it's, it's not as scary, but it is like some of my favorite memories of gaming have been Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6. And again, Resident Evil 6 is not a great game in a lot of regards, but it's a messy one. It feels so good to play though. When you're in the action is amazing. Oh, you know, man. I, I played the hell out of it on Xbox 360. That was the first version I played it on, and it's just you know, uh, you can do dives. You can do you, you, you can just do straight up punch combos. It's just straight up like Devil May Cry game with guns. It's amazing. You know, there, yes. There's, there's no game that plays like it these days, and it, and it all controls very smooth. That, that the, the the potential out of the game again unlocks when you play Mercenaries mode, and Mercenaries mode is just so much more fun in co-op. You know, I don't I didn't even play the Resident Evil Village Mercenaries mode because you just play it by yourself, and it's like I kind of don't want to do this. I want to play with a friend. Yes. Try, try to get a higher score together. That'd be great, you know? 
oh. I mean, like like coordinating against a zombie attack. That's the whole thing that that, that Left for Dead and Back for Blood did, you know. And like Resident Evil Five kind of did better, honestly, to me, you know. Ooh, yeah, Gene, just dropping some facts on here because I agree, Resident Evil Five, especially when it comes to co-op, like there is nothing that has filled that void for me. There's nothing mm-hmm. that's filled the Resident Evil co-op void. It was a very specific foundation. It was a blueprint that was, you know, that elevated what you know and love about Resident Evil. Um, sure, the storytelling gets kind of lost, as we saw with 5 and 6. Both of those mm-hmm. stories are kind of all, all over the place. But if you take it at face value and like a... I just imagine these are Michael Bay-directed Hollywood movies. The story yeah. isn't great, but there's enough spectacle and action to keep you moving forward. And um, love, I love Michael Bay movies. So, you hey, know, assuming, all right, you know. there we go. Yeah. Let's do it. And then one final question here that he asks. What direction should RE9 take? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I dude, I have no idea, man, because like Village ended on such a weird note, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I do think that it would be it would behoove the series and it, it does seem like they're going this way. To return to the classic characters, to Chris Redfield, to Jill Valentine, um, the fact that we see Jill in that new in that new movie—I'm already forgetting the name—but I'm going to watch the hell out of it anyways. Uh, and uh, and also my own conversations with the developers—they say we didn't know how how much they're only just realizing how how much people actually loved the, the classic characters. So I do think that their their like Resident Evil Nine is going to be some kind of return to one of the original cast again uh after the the, the last two games with ethan winters who i loved and if, if you guys want to uh, see my story i have an ode to ethan winters uh <laughs> I, I he's 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 my he's my dumb cuddly like weird he- little hero you know um and he's he's the opposite of the leon where leon's puns like are silly but they land and they make sense you know at least in the context and like ethan is like just saying nonsense you know and it's it's so bizarre you know and when he when he kills the bug ladies and he just like, oh i hate bugs and it's like what you just witnessed one of the most All right. horrifying things imaginable in your life and that's the line yeah uh, yeah exactly yeah it's it's absolutely insane and then you know like the fact that, that ethan gets chopped up Dante levels of like he's basically Dante except that he feels everything. Dante Dante is tortured and like mutilated throughout the whole series, but he doesn't feel it, you know, because he's impervious. Ethan is like Dante if he could just feel everything, which is horrifying. (laughs) Ethan is the ultimate everyman. He's just like a he's like a Bruce Willis figure in a movie where you just watch this dude get beat for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I I do think that you know it'd be it'd be great if they went back to third person perspective and I, I do think that they're, they're kind of toying with that especially since they added the third person camera to resident evil village mm-hmm. it does feel like that they're kind of go back to that too uh i will miss the first person perspective and that's a surprising thing for me to say because sometimes i don't always love first person perspectives in every game right um sometimes i just get tired of first person shooters and then sometimes i just really really need to just play a first person shooter i love them obviously you know but sometimes I, I just don't need it in every game. But with Resident Evil, it really worked really well, you know? It's uh, When they first moved to first person, it was pretty divisive. Some fans were really annoyed and upset that they got rid of third-person camera for first person. I, I like both. I, I feel like I like that they've kind of given room for both. When they did the third-person DLC and updated Village to go third person, it kind of made me feel like 
that was the decision, like outside of VR, and maybe they'll keep it going for VR purposes, that they're not going to do first person with these games. And if RE9 was third person, I would be slightly bummed only because Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil Village, first off, are just incredible games, but we owe the current state of Resident Evil to Resident Evil 7. So the reason yeah. I feel yeah. like that Capcom is so good that Resident Evil games are so good is because of what they did with Resident Evil 7. And that was like, hey, we can mix things up. We can take something pe people know and love and we can shake that up and deliver it and it's going to do well and people are going to be excited about it. So that kind of gave them the courage to go back to the well for Devil May Cry, Monster mm -hmm. Hunter in, in some regards, and, and just completely disrupt their, their formula for these franchises. And obviously nostalgia is important and they want to go back to classic characters, but I'm still hoping they find a way to evolve Resident Evil. For sure, yeah. And I think they will. Uh, the, the, the Resident Evil has been changing so much. Uh, Resident Evil is one of those impossible series that keeps changing and somehow revolutionizes the industry and somehow stays as the central survival horror franchise. After all this time, it is still the king, you know? It is still the king. It's still the mm -hmm. horror king, and I, I love mm -hmm. it for that. Um couple more super chats here. We got Nick W who says the room has some pretty hilarious lines for a movie. So I disagree. Movies can be cheesy and still really entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I, I love cheesy. I watch a ton of cheesy horror movies. So my point wasn't that movies can't be cheesy. It's that there are certain things that really only exist in, in video games or really only work in, in video games. Yeah. Like even if you saw The Rock or or a movie version of whatever of of someone throwing a flashbang at a bunch of crows and then they get a bunch of money, that's not your money that you're getting. You know, like as a as a player, when you pick up all those pesetas, it feel it feels great. You just, yeah, you get the you get the shiny feedback. Yeah, you get the shiny feedback. That's the important thing about Resident Evil Four being a video game because like you are getting that feedback that that this. This, this upgrade economy that they created for Resident Evil 4 Remake with the spinels and the, the side quests that you do. I'm doing the side quests every single time. I've run through the game six times. I, I, do, this, I do all the side quests all the time because I always need those jewels because I always need upgrades, <laughs> you know? And it's like that, that, that kind of feeling you just won't get in a, in a movie because there's, you can't upgrade in a book. You can't upgrade yeah. in a movie. You can't upgrade in a TV show. Yeah. You know, you, when, when you watch The Last of Us and you see Joel get a new gun, and he's like, oh, he's upgrading. Ho, ho, ho. There's like, oh, nice reference to the game. That's all you get. You know, oh, yeah. but it's, it's not as cool as you actually just picking up the M4 yourself and, and, and being able to shoot up the hospital, you know? Spoilers for the last one. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> um, a couple more Super Chats here. We got Game Seeker M who says, congrats on episode 99. Keep them coming. Appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out. And Nick W with one more that says, you two are nuts. Resident Evil 5 is decent, but a horrible Resident Evil. Um, oh, I, I can take that. It's not, a, take it. it's not a great Resident Evil game, but, you know, it's a... Look, it's 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 one of the greatest action games ever made. It I may think. not be. I, a... I like it better. Than, I like it better than Gears of War, and I, and I love Gears of War. You know, like the, the Gears of War trilogy is like one of the best ever. But like, you know, when you, if, I I think that there are certain feelings in Resident Evil Five that you can't get in Gears of War because Gears of War is pretty much straightforward. You you shoot, but with the cooperative aspect of how Resident Evil Five works, how you're sharing ammo, how you're setting up. Like like melee moves, it's it's like volleyball, you know. Like you're yeah. totally just setting up your 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 partner for spike. You don't really get that in Gears of War, right? In Gears of War, you 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 both shoot the guy at the same time, and maybe maybe 
one of you gets the chainsaw it, finish you know you get that yeah one of you one of you get the chainsaw finish that's about it but then in in resume five you're you're always thinking about the other person always always yeah so it may be horrible but i would throw down some money that they're, they're remaking it pretty quick so maybe it'll are. win you over all right maybe it'll, it'll it'll win you over and i i hope for the sake of co-op, that five is next. Because let's go. All right. Uh, huge shout out to all the amazing people joining us live. If you are digging the show, hit that like button. Share it out. If you are new, we are live every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. And real quick, I want to talk about what's next for Capcom. We talked about what's next for, or what's potentially next for Resident Evil. But you and I were talking before the show that Capcom is just firing on all cylinders. They are just delivering banger after banger. And they've found a way to reinvent all of their core, and I shouldn't say all, many of their core franchises in ways that people have really resonated with. We got Street Fighter VI coming out. That looks incredible. We've had Resident Evil. We've had Devil May Cry. We've had Monster Hunter. They announced Dragon's Dogma 2. We know that Pragmata's coming up. We know that Exoprimal's coming up. So I gotta ask, what are there any omissions right now? Are there any franchises that capcom is sleeping on in your eyes that they need to go back to that well and and mega bring man. to the future it's mega man it's yes mega man. uh I don't, I don't know what they can do with mega man i love mega man 11 i actually think mega man 11 is like probably my second favorite mega man of all time um so still again that's still part of the capcom renaissance they, they mm -hmm. made a new mega man and it was amazing it's it it, it ended up being one of the best they ever made and then they just kind of dropped it because, you know, the series doesn't sell that well, you know. But I really hope that they figure out a way to be able to support that. And, you know, the, the way Nintendo has with Metroid, you know, we all know that Metroid hasn't sold that well. But mm -hmm. Nintendo keeps, Nintendo's really been pushing it uh, lately. And it's, it's been paying out well, you know. The, the audience has Metroid Dread sold, sold more than any other Metroid ever. Yeah. Uh, Metroid, yeah. Prime, Metroid Prime Remastered uh, just came and is now, like, pretty much tied for the best review game with Resident Evil 4 Remake. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I hope Capcom will, will kind of go to the, the Nintendo route and be like, you know what, you know, Mega Man is so important to us, you know, maybe, maybe we should push this a little bit more. Yes. Um, but I am really happy as a Dragon's Dogma fan that, that they haven't forgotten their franchise because, you know, that game came out and it was really unfinished. Um, but the things that it does well, it does it like no other game ever does. You know, have you played Dragon's Dogma? Oh, I love love dragon's dogma oh man love miles i think you and i really click, click Dude, there yeah this is I, this isn't meant to sound hyperbolic and i don't mean it to be at all but after playing elden ring i went back to dragon's dogma and it just mm. everyone praised elden ring's kind of innovation for the open world rpg it did a mm. lot of things that really enriched an open world rpg on the action side of things that we hadn't seen before and then I went mm. back and played Dragon's Dogma, and I was like, oh, Dragon's Dogma was kind of the blueprint here, all right? Dragon's Dogma was doing things that we hadn't seen until Elden Ring dropped. The magic mm. system in particular in Dragon's Dogma is one uh, of the best. One of the yeah, best ever. still one of the best. After, all, after two generations or whatever, still one of the best, you know? Uh, I did the same thing too after Elden Ring. I was like, man, Elden Ring was, was fantastic. What, 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 what a game. I went back to Dragon's Dogma, and I was like, Elder Ring still doesn't do this. Exactly. You know? exa that's the thing that blew yeah. my mind. There were things in Dragon's Dogma that I l just 
that blew me away that nobody else took that and, and copied it. Like, just blanket mm -hmm. copy it because there are so many good ideas in that game. So when they announced that sequel, mm, I didn't think we'd yeah. get one because they had been so quiet for it for so Elden long. Elden Ring is great because it has, it has great co-op, right? In Dragon's Dogma, uh, your, your partner will put the shield over their head. You jump on the shield... And then the, the, your partner will launch you into the air. Yes. So you can grab onto the head yes. of, a, of, of a griffin. And then as you're flying, and then, and then the monster will, th will thrash in the air as you're stabbing it in the head. That doesn't happen in Elden Ring. You can't do that in Elden Ring. You know? That only happens in Dragon's Dogma. Yeah. It, doesn't even happen in, it doesn't even happen in fucking Shadow of the Colossus, you know? Well, actually it does. But like, not as organically as it does. You know, in Shadow of the Colossus, you have to do that. In Dragon's Dogma, that's just one of the things that you can do, you know? Oh. Dragon's Dogma, such a special game. So yeah, Capcom, I have a lot of faith in what they're going to do with Dragon's Dogma too, but I'm in the same boat with you when it comes to, I want to see Mega Man get some love. And as much as I have nostalgia for the, the classic 2D side-scrolling Mega Man games, I want them to, like they've done with these other franchises, deconstruct it and then rebuild it up in like a modern mm -hmm. age so i want to yeah, see a big action rpg that's again this is cliche but metroidvania inspired like i want mm -hmm. mega man to open up a bit and i want your powers to mean something in terms of traversing a bigger landscape and not just oh, a 2d plane you, you mean goosebumps this is so, so that's, that's that sounds so good actually you know yeah and make Very it like ambitious. exactly make it like every other kind of open world game right now that has the dynamic of you can much like Mega Man has always been you can tackle these bosses in any order you want um mm -hmm. but yeah just take that that the fundamental principles of a Mega Man game and just blow that up and imagine a like a Mega Man game like like Elden Ring where you can just like cuz Elden Ring you can, you can tackle the bosses any way you want too right it, 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 most of them mm -hmm. in any order yeah. imagine a Mega Man game where you, yeah like, oh i'm imagining it Oh my god, that's amazing. Dude, you, you, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. So that's what I want to see. And then another Capcom IP that I feel like right now, in this current moment, um, could come back in a big way is Dead Rising. Dead Rising, mm -hmm. such a great idea for a video game. Such mm -hmm. a, that, on, that was the reason I bought a 360, more than any other game. The mm -hmm. moment I played Dead Rising for the first time, I was like, I need this game. I'm going to I'm going to pay $500 to play this game because I love it so much. Um mm -hmm. so I want to see Capcom go back to the well. And again, we have a lot of blueprints. Like I think State of Decay has done a lot of really interesting things. I think State of Decay 3 is going to evolve that in a huge way. But I want to see Dead Rising almost we almost got this in Dead Rising 3. It was the promise of a bigger scale and bigger scope. And I love Dead Rising 3. It's my favorite one. And so go back to that. Go, go back to that. Keep the series ridiculous, but go back to that promise of like, oh, what if what if Dead Rising was an entire city? What if that mm -hmm. that was the Dead Rising experience? So mm -hmm. those are the two that with, I feel like have been the, done dirty. The, yeah, with all the time management that you have to do in Dead Rising, uh, Dead Rising Three was great. Uh, it, it's it's one of the great Xbox One exclusive for sure. Yeah, let's go. I remember yelling at zombies via my Connect on launch mm -hmm. day with that <laughs> over here come get me yeah. oh yeah 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 i never did i never I actually never had a connect so there's that so uh you, you didn't miss out on too much um there were it was a yeah. cool idea you know i'm a a connect apologist i think there was some great ideas but nobody used it so it didn't fantastic tech absolutely you know wonderful tech you know but somebody has to make a good game with it so uh 
All right. Let's talk about Diablo 4 a little a little bit here because that's another big moment this week is that if you uh, pre-ordered Diablo 4 or if you bought a KFC Double Down, and sh <laughs> shout out to the WWE. I have to have a side tangent real quick because last week I had Snowbike Mike on and we had a segment talking about the, just a goofy segment talking about the promotion for um, the KFC Double Down sandwich. And we were just talking about you, you can get access to the beta Blah, blah, blah. I was making some jokes about the KFC Double Down sandwich being gross and how I've had it in the past and would never buy it again. I wouldn't and, want it. Yeah, and it I had ripped gross. this really old, it was like a 14-year-old commercial off YouTube and used this old KFC Double Down commercial just playing in the background, no audio, um, in the podcast during the segment, uh, just, just for fun skis. The WWE claimed the entire video and took it down because of that weird old commercial that i played i was like really That's awful. That's so i had awful. to like cut that clip out do a whole thing uh so yeah oh, shout out God. to the wwe for cracking down on the um the intellectual property that is the kfc double down sandwich <laughs> but yes so now as of yesterday friday the servers opened up at 9 a.m pacific time and you could jump online and you could play some diablo 4. Before I share my experience, Gene, have you had a chance to dive in and play Diablo 4? Sadly, no. I do. Uh, thanks to Activision Blizzard, they did give me a key uh, for early access for the beta 2. So I do plan on visiting that later today. Uh, but, you know, yesterday was, uh, was, was uh, downtime. It's Friday. You know, I finished work. Uh, you know, I'm still going to chemotherapy treatments and like, like I just got unplugged from that. So I was, I just really wanted to wind down and just play some more Resident Evil 4. Yes. You know, that's, that's yes. Um, but I do, but look, I love Diablo. I love the Diablo series. Um, you know, there's so many, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough where I've been on the ground floor for so many series, uh, Resident Evil included and everything, Zelda, Final Fantasy, and Diablo is one of them. I, I, I played Diablo one, uh, back in college because uh, my roommate was playing it, and I was like, what is this game? This game looks amazing. <laughs> like, are you are you just clicking the skeletons and they die? That's incredible. <laughs> and then you're just getting, like, more gear? That's that, What a game. You know, what a concept. And then so I just obsessively played Diablo to the point where, like, it actually changed, like, the way I sleep um, forever, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I was playing college, and I, I, I stopped scheduling classes early in the morning uh, not even early in the morning. I wouldn't schedule a, cl a class before two p.m. because <laughs> okay. I knew that I wouldn't I wouldn't be waking up because I was playing some <sighs> Diablo and especially Diablo two. Um, oh yeah, Diablo then, two. Yeah. That was that's one of my most played games ever, hands down. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you how many how how much time I spent on Diablo two uh, back in college and even now the, during during the remastered. I played the hell out of that game too the, the, in the in the remastered. And Diablo three as well. So Diablo four coming out, the, how good it looks. Um, you know, the the it seems like the, the character creator is amazing. I'm really really excited to to dive in. And I, I'm also hearing that it runs great with the controller, and which is great because I I prefer the using the pad over mouse and keys. Um, now obviously I had to do mouse and keys back then, but it's like I wish I could play this with a controller, and now I can. You know. Yes. Um, so I'm really yeah. Really excited to I'm Diablo glad you. I'm glad you mentioned the the controller because my first introduction to Diablo was actually Diablo one on PlayStation one. I remember Gosh. going into like a Hollywood video and seeing the cover, like a rental cover of like the of Diablo, the the, the demon. I'm like, 
This is what a random game. This yeah. is yeah. I was like, this looks sick. So we convinced my my buddy convinced his mom to rent it for us, and so we took it home and we played Diablo, and we were hooked because it had two player split screen co op, and we played that for hundreds of hours every single weekend, all day, every day. Diablo mm. one, and then when Diablo two came around, like I was day one on PC, I was ready to go. I was so so amped up for that. Mm -hmm. I remember taking like four days off of work when Diablo three launched, <laughs> like. I'm a big Diablo fan, and so to see them go back and kind of make Diablo 4 look and feel more like what I loved about Diablo 2, I was yeah. so excited. because I love Diablo 3. I bought it on PC. I bought it on Xbox One or Xbox 360 and Xbox One, so I've bought Diablo 3 three separate times. Mm -hmm. um, I will probably double dip on this as well because it has cross-play and I think cross-progression prog between uh, PC and console. So, oh, totally. Um, I'm definitely getting out Xbox and PC. So yeah, I'm definitely totally going to double dip there, but playing Diablo on controller. I played Diablo 3 at launch on PC. It felt good. But when the, the 360 version hit and they added the roll to the mm. triggers and, mm, very and everything just feeling so great, I was like, oh my God, like I want every Diablo on a controller now. So yes. stoked yes. about that. Stoked they, about they, that. They, they, they really, really unlocked the potential of the controller. Like they did such a good job in, 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 in you know, the UI. It, it just goes to show the importance of UI designers, you know, hmm? uh, and the way they were able to just translate all of that into the controller and the menu systems and everything. It just worked so, so well. That was probably the biggest thing about Diablo 3. You know, I, I, I'm with you. That the art style was disappointing you know and it, 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 like uh, like i've gotten used to it yeah it's fine. I, I don't think it's bad it's just not what i want i guess yeah it's still chunky it's still bloody like like it still feels really good so like that like that was really important and i didn't i didn't mind it so much but i did well i, I was like but but diablo 2 looks so fucking good though you know and and diablo 1 too so i really wish that they would they, they would go back to the aesthetics and once 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 we saw started seeing diablo 4 and how good that looked i was like this is great. This is great. Yeah. So I tried to play Diablo 4 yesterday. I was excited. I was ready to go. I had it pre-installed. Mm. I was I was looking forward to diving in, making my druid. Actually, that's do you know if there's all the classes in the beta? I haven't really double checked, but I, 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 I haven't I've seen I, the I menu screen that has all yeah. all the characters. But yeah, I want to go druid first. So I want to get my hands on the druid, see how that feels. But then I booted up the game yesterday at like probably 10 30 11 a.m and i had mm -hmm. a 111 person queue or no sorry 111 minute, minute queue. queue yeah and i was like mm -hmm. oh no i have things to do uh yeah. I, I ended up going to a show in seattle yesterday so i was like i don't have time to wait for this so oh, who'd you see? Uh, i saw fit for an autopsy and the acacia strain if you're a big uh death metal fan <laughs> I don't know them, but I used to like I used to like death metal, but I'm definitely not caught up on on the on the scene. So you know. yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was a loud show. It was an aggressive show. Um, but yeah, I was like, I don't have time to do this, so I I canceled yeah. that. I shut the game down and I installed Exo Primal. Mm. And so I've been spending some time with Exo Primal. I got to play a couple hours of that yesterday. Um, How was that? It's so good. It's it's so again. It's dumb. It's really Classic dumb Capcom. because yeah. it is a like 5v5 PvEVP game where you're basically pushing through objectives. Very Overwatch style. A lot of the, the class archetypes and these mech archetypes are very much pulled from Overwatch. But it is basically a move forward and kill dinosaurs game. 
and you'll collect objects along the way. You'll have control points you need to deal with along the way. You're racing another team to do the objectives faster. So it's not all the game is 5v5. It'll be your team trying to kill dinosaurs faster than the other team. And you're all pushing towards this end moment where everybody gets together and it kind of culminates into the big clash. But it is, mm -hmm. if you've played Earth Defense Force, it is just hordes, <sighs> just waves and waves oh my and waves. God, Miles, you were just speaking my language today. <laughs> Earth Defense Force. Yes. Oh my Our... God, yes. I, so... I love that series so much. Yeah, that's exactly what it reminded me of when I saw Exo Prime. I was like, this just looks like like Overwatch Earth Defense Force. That sounds and, amazing to hey, me. I'm and sorry. That's, a, that's the elevator pitch. It's Earth Defense Force meets Overwatch. So oh, if you God. like either of those things, Actually, you yeah. pretty much have to like both. You, you definitely yeah. have to like both of those things to appreciate this game. But man, it's it's good. It's it's good. I'm really excited. It's going to be a good Game Pass drop because I don't think it's going to be a game that everyone connects with. Mm -hmm. But I can already tell that it's going to have this loop and this hook that it's going to pull in a very specific audience. And again, if you yeah. are a big Earth Defense Force fan, yeah, it's, it's that. You kill stuff, you get some better gear, you get some upgrades to kill stuff faster. And that's pretty much the loop of the game. Yeah, hopefully it gets a, a nice like outriders like boost at the beginning uh, through Game Pass. You know, yeah, let's boost that player count because it it does a lot of stuff that I really really appreciate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I haven't had a chance to play Diablo Four. I've watched some streams. I've watched some videos that people have shared. Uh, the art style looks great. I've also talked to people who've been playing the beta for the last like six months or so because they've been doing a lot mm -hmm. of extensive testing on this, which sure. which is great to hear. Um, and the impressions are that the combat and the magic system is is so much better than Diablo 2, but it is very much that evolution of what a lot of the, I guess, hardcore fans liked about Diablo 2. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited. I'm really excited I'm so for excited. that. I'm so excited to play later today. I will for sure. probably be diving in right after this podcast. So I probably yeah. will too. Yeah, I'm actually getting pretty hyped that, that thinking about it. And I have time. I don't. I don't have anything to do today. You know, I have, I have all day today. So I'm pretty excited to to to, to wait in the queue if I have to. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so. exactly. Boot it up. Go make a sandwich and see where I'm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I I would also be hungry too. So yeah, I probably boot it up and just probably get some food. You know. Couple quick super chats I'm gonna get to here. We got Hargeet Chani who says, "Dang, we keep getting great games so far this year. Let's hope it keeps going. 2023 is awesome so far. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 2023 has been just stacked. Even when we didn't know about Hi-Fi Rush, which came out of nowhere and became a huge <sighs> hit, like it was already looking ridiculous. And then we have Dead Space 2 coming out, landing. Metroid Prime Remastered coming out and landing." And we have Resident Evil 4 coming out and just being this huge, overwhelming critical success. So, yeah, this year's been wild. And then Hogwarts Legacy also kind of had some of that Elden Ring energy where it was like the game, the, the conversation piece for the games industry for a while. So, for a bit, man. yeah, it's, it's kind of died off for a bit. But, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely sold a shit ton. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. it definitely made some money. Definitely made a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, it was one of those games where I had people like hit me up who I haven't talked to in years saying, Hey, are you playing this? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Good to hear from you, by the way. How you been? <laughs> um, I have to say that the game really didn't do much for me, but you know, that's, I, I'm still trying to make my way through it, but there's so many other things to play right now. So yeah, I dropped off at about 25 hours. It's a long hours, game. Maybe. Yeah. It's a long yeah. game. And it's like, it's like, okay, I think I've seen enough, you know, and the, 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 the my problem with it, with it is that it, it, it tutorializes way too long. Like, 
like the first several hours is like okay just give me the goddamn broom already please you know yeah it's one of those games where the first 10 hours is pretty slow the first 10 hours is a is a tutorial more or less yeah not pretty much yeah yeah so it's it asks a lot but once you get past that then it opens up and once you get the magic it's it's definitely fun yeah, the, um, the combat's fun it, feel, it feels good yeah the combat does feel good i was impressed mm -hmm. All right, so Gene, I wanted to touch a little bit on Xbox Game Pass in 2023. So we know Xbox, or the year of 2023 in general, is very full. And it's been interesting seeing Xbox become more and more a part of that with Game Pass and some of these bigger releases. So right now we know, obviously, there was Hi-Fi Rush. We had Atomic Heart. We had Redfall. Or These are games basically confirmed for 2023. Redfall, Forza Motorsport, Minecraft Legends, Starfield, Exo Primal, Woe Long Fallen Dynasty, Lies of P, mm -hmm. Ghostwire Tokyo, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and, and a lot more. So Xbox is trying to have a lot of big pops, and a lot of people are looking at high-caliber releases like Redfall and Starfield and saying, like, all right, we know Xbox has had aggressive growth targets for Game Pass, but is this the year we start to see some, some big metrics and some big numbers because... Theoretically, Starfield is going to be the biggest Xbox release of the last decade. That game is going to be absolutely massive. And mm -hmm. so that's going to be a huge test to see, you know, what the growth metrics for Game, game Pass can be. So do you think games like Redfall and Starfield will have any... will move the needle at all for, for Game Pass in terms of just public perception? Absolutely, I think it will. I, I think this is this is the moment we've been waiting for, right? The first real big. Well, Halo Infinite was supposed to be that, but uh, yes, Halo uh, Infinite was supposed to be that. Yeah, we all know what happened there, and it was a great game. You know, yes, don't get me was. wrong. Like, 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 I, I still gave the campaign a ten out of ten. I love the campaign, um, but it definitely wasn't like the 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 app that you needed to keep being subscribed to to, to Xbox Game Pass for. Uh, Starfield is going to be different because Starfield, you know, is going to at least come with at the at minimum a hundred hours of, of single player playtime, right? And, and at most, probably a couple thousand, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Redfall too, although although that's more of a of a cooperative game and everything like that too. But then you know the fact that they're saying that it's basically like a Far Cry cooperative Far Cry. Uh, that could be great too. And you know, like Halo Infinite didn't have co op at launch. And here comes Redfall being a great first-person shooter made by Arcane Studios, being co-op on launch. You know uh, that, that that like it. Game Pass is great for for multiplayer games. You know. Yes. Uh, we were just talking about Exo Primal. We were talking talk, talk about how how much of a boost Outriders got uh, when, when that launched. Um, so I really do think that this is this is the moment that Xbox Game Pass has been waiting for, and I do think that it'll it'll, it'll move the needle. I why why wouldn't you? So check out Game Pass after this huge game that everyone's going to be talking about. Starfield comes out because everyone's going to be talking about Starfield. I have no doubt, you know. Bethesda, it's 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 Bethesda. We all laugh about how Bethesda is like janky and everything like that, but it's fucking Bethesda, man. They've made some of the greatest games of all time, and the games that we still play today. Like I still kind of want to play Skyrim today, you know. Like yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, and I'm still, and I, and I did, I did even like Fallout Four for the most part, and I still have like a thousand hours in a game <laughs> that I did, I didn't, I thought was was mid compared to the other games. You know, so I like it doesn't matter like 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 what the quality of these games are. We're still gonna play the hell out of them because they are meant to be played so long. So it'll be interesting to see how much a single player game can can hold interest in terms of retaining the subscription base. 
But I do think that we're definitely going to see a spike in subscribers. And I would suspect, I would hope that Xbox would feel comfortable enough to finally like release their subscriber numbers after Starfield comes out. You know, it would be nice to see to see Xbox have a win and being able to like you know puff, puff themselves up a little bit because we haven't had that in a while, at least on the Xbox side. Yeah, because a lot of us we know the Game Pass is is. A great value and it lets us play a lot of games um it's doing well too yeah so when they've had growth like they've had impressive growth but i th we know based on like some of their internal kind of bonus metrics that the growth maybe maybe isn't what they wanted it to be at this point but on the other mm -hmm. side of things they're building this subscription service around exclusive content in a lot of ways and they didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of exclusive content for pretty much a full year and so there was stuff to keep people subscribed I think they did a great job curating where they could and getting compelling games, but they didn't have the Starfield, which like you said, everyone's going to be playing Starfield. Everyone's going to be talking about Starfield for a long time. And as we've seen with other games, Elden Ring is a prime example. If it's the conversation, you're going to appeal to that broad market. You're going to have your friends saying, all right, I want to play Starfield. How do I get access to it? And then you're going to have your friends in the know say, well, mm -hmm. if, you, if you have Game Pass, you can just play it on there. And so I think that has potential to be a huge boost. Redfall, I'm super stoked for. Like you said, I think co-op games in particular uh, thrive on that. Even games like Back for Blood that didn't get universal critical acclaim, they had mm -hmm. a really good solid foundation of players because of mm -hmm. Game Pass. So mm -hmm. like you said, with Exo Primal, I think that's a guaranteed. Redfall, I think is going to boost that as well. I just, as much as it hurts me to say, as someone who loves, loves horror, loves co-op, I don't know that Redfall has huge potential to be like, I need Game Pass right now. I need yeah. to subscribe to yeah. Game Pass right now. And Arcane games don't, don't, don't do that. The, Arcane games are critical darlings, uh, but they don't, like Deathloop didn't really perform all that well. Let's be real, you know? And we, um, as fans, we want Arcane to, you know, get their flowers, have their moment, but that's kind of been the state of their games. It's not that their games aren't good. It's just, it's hard to market that to like a widespread appeal, I think. But with it being I, multiplayer, I, I think Redfall this will be their attempt to kind of like try to get a little bit more widespread appeal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see to see how that that actually shakes out. I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, I agree with you that I don't think it's going to be the, the big. It's it's going to be Starfield. We're all waiting for Starfield. So Starfield's going to be it. And then, based on some of the other stuff and timing of these other games, it seems like Microsoft is is using this year to hopefully start their their cadence of you know mm -hmm. getting the pop having those moments like Starfield that boost the subscriber count and then maintaining that. Obviously, that's their goal. And so they're going to need stuff to keep people coming back. Do you think Microsoft is doing enough to secure high, higher profile third-party games to kind of fill the gaps while they wait for first party to, to start firing on all cylinders, I guess? Honestly, you look at this list, it's, it's pretty good, you know? Uh, Atomic Heart, well, you know, Atomic Heart didn't really uh, win, win that many flowers, but Lies of P... Lies the wall is interesting, uh, you know. Like, look, I, I'm always gonna, I'm always gonna say Ghostwire Tokyo is pretty good, you know. Uh, people definitely slept on that, and it would be great to see Ghostwire Tokyo get the second life on Game Pass. Definitely a great Game Pass game. Check it out. Very much a checklist open world game, and it came out around the time of Elden Ring. So I think that's what, uh, like, like Horizon Forbidden West wasn't the only victim of the Elden Ring uh, uh, blowout. I think Ghostwire Tokyo uh, came out around the same time, and it's like, okay, well, this is another checklist game. And it's like, well, it's, but it's a good checklist game. It feels good, and it's it's like magic based. So, you know, uh, it kind of reminds you of like like what Phil Spencer was talking about. Uh, you know, possibly bringing back Hexen, and it's like, yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo is kind of like that right now. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
like, yeah, it's it's nice to see it's nice to see them getting into cadence finally. Uh, you know, Hi-Fi Rush is obviously a, a huge gem mm-hmm. in the game pass, in the Game Pass field, um, and I wish more people would would, would be playing. Uh, but I do think that they they it does seem like that this year is the, the year that they start start having some cadence and some pretty good third party exclusives, uh, third party the drops too. So you know it, it's looking pretty healthy. I, I, I'm you know last year I, I got some heat for saying that I unsubscribed for, for from Game Pass, and it was really just like two months that I was unsubscribed. You know, and it's like you know I I I need money for those two months, and <laughs> I I resubscribed again. You know, part of part of the reason why I stay subscribed to Game Pass is because it's 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 a great way for me to access the Gears of War trilogy. You know, yes, um, and a lot of backwards backwards compat games that I might not I might not necessarily want to buy straight up. Um, you know, the Xbox is such a great back back compat machine, um, and so that's what I use it for. Definitely, that's 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 definitely what I use Game Pass for. So. Yeah, just making sure that it's back catalog with like a lot of good stuff, and you know, yeah, we need that that first party a quarter uh, cadence going, Phil, pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I've seen a lot of people talk about you know what Xbox Game Pass needs to do to oh. boost its numbers or hit whatever targets it's going for, and I think this year is is pretty much the blueprint for what they do need to do because I think they've done a really good job with partnerships with high profile indies with third party developers. Um, yeah. We had Monster Hunter Rise earlier this year from Capcom. We have Exo Primal coming up from Capcom. So they do have partners who definitely see value in it and higher profile partners that see value in it. And I think that speaks volumes to what that can do and, and how comfortable Capcom feels about it. Because they've gone back. They did Monster Hunter World in Game Pass. They did they launched Monster Hunter Rise in Game Pass. Now they're doing Exo Primal. So I think for specific games... I don't think it's a one size fits all, like every single game that goes into Game Pass will be an undeniable hit. But I think they've done a really smart job of like having clever partnerships that make sense. Because yeah, as much- and a, and a good cache of diverse games too. Yeah, right? exactly. And as much as us, I joked about like, it, you know, getting Elden Ring day one in Game Pass, what that would mean for the subscription service. But I also mm. said, I bet that would cost like $500 million, that deal. And mm. people were like, no, that's that figure's high. And then we see- Elden Ring do over a billion dollars. So mm-hmm. there are times where as much as it would be a dope and it would boost subscriber count, like uh, Elden Ring in Game Pass would have boosted subscribers for sure. Um, for sure. The asking price, probably higher than they want to spend. Probably not mm-hmm. guaranteed to get that return back. Um, but I think for the most part, they've done a good job. And I think once they have those pops with Starfield, if we get more of those every three, four months, I think I think mm-hmm. Xbox will be in good shape to kind of just just keep that growth going. Yeah, it's hard, you know. <clears throat> Look, I work for a newspaper, you know. The, we're in a subscription business too, and it's difficult, you know. Uh, the, the Washington Post has been losing subscribers uh, at least in the past year, and uh, that's a problem. That that is, it, it's a it's a perpetual problem. We we, we want subscriptions. The people people get into the subscription service business because they think that it's a perpetual money making machine, but and it could be. But you also have to be a perpetual content-making machine, too. Yeah, people and, don't want to give you money for nothing. Like, yeah, it has to be of some value of, 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 the, of the, for that person at that time. You know, it's crazy, you know? Yes, because, again, I think that's the thing is, like, a lot of us who are playing video games and looking for what's new, they look at Game Pass and say, there's too much for me to even play. Like, there are so many games I want to play that I just can't. But like you touched on, it needs to be that value for every person 
at every time. And that's that's mm -hmm. the tough balance is like putting out mm -hmm. good content that checks all of those boxes and being consistent. And mm -hmm. um, it's tough. It's a, it's a really tough balance and you really do have to work for it. And that's why I think Microsoft has been so aggressive about acquiring studios and teams is so that they can keep that machine churning, baby. We got to keep people engaged with the Xbox ecosystem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'm excited. I'm excited about Game Pass this year. I'm excited to see what the numbers look like. And I think after this year, after calendar, calendar year 2023, I wonder, it, like you said, if they're going to share some numbers. And if they don't share some numbers, like what that means for like, okay, we've had the big, like the, our biggest game in here. Um, yeah. And, and it what didn't do what we needed. Starfield, what happens after Starfield though? That's, that, that, that's the next question, right? And, and hopefully we'll find out in the June show, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the showcase. Uh, hopefully we'll start seeing Avowed. Hopefully we'll start seeing where Hellblade is because that was announced a long time ago. Hopefully we can finally get an update on the Fable, the Fable project. You know, all of these games are very, very diverse. And like these are and some of them are classic IP that 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 Xbox didn't do a great job of like maintaining, and it'd be great to see that like something like Fable come back, you know. Yes, exactly. A lot of like Xbox fans because Xbox does have a really good stable of IP and a lot of franchises that people love. Yeah, uh, Fable is a prime example. Perfect Dark, another great example. And so, mm -hmm. much like Capcom, I think they're kind of revisiting that in some ways, like re like finding ways to re revisit and reinvent these franchises. And I want Xbox I want, definitely needs the Capcom era for sure. I want them all to hit. I want Perfect Dark to come out and just be an unquestionable hit. Same with Fable. Mm -hmm. I want it to like take me back to playing the original Fable. And while that has shortcomings, I still fondly remember experiencing that world for the first time and playing a game that I had never played before. It didn't feel like anything else. And yeah, I want yeah. Xbox to get back in that position. And I think, you know, as much as people are tired of hearing, oh, just just keep waiting. I think I think that wait is coming soon to it coming to an end soon right yeah now. yeah the, yeah. The, yeah our patience are, are is kind of running out it's it's getting pretty tired for even content creators to say you know it's coming soon it's coming soon i, I can't imagine how, how how it must be like for xbox content creators to be like we're almost there guys you know? just hey just hang in there in the yeah. meantime and as, as someone who <laughs> plays on everything it's the wait hasn't been too bad for me but um yeah it's uh it's an exciting time. It's an exciting year for Game Pass. Um, before I haven't begin... checked out Halo Infinite Season 3. Uh, oh, that, yeah. That, that's, that, that's another thing I still need to check out, too. So. I finally checked it out. Yeah, last week I talked to Snowbike Mike about it, and he was really digging it. And so that actually inspired me to, uh, you know, reinstall it. And yeah. I dove in this past week, and it it feels so much better to play, generally speaking. Um, cool. I'll check it the out. loop is there. They have the the per match XP. You have performance based mm -hmm. XP. So you get all of the the shiny number feedback at the end of the match. The new map is great. The new weapon is great. Um, yeah, it felt good. It felt good to play Halo and just and just have a good time playing Halo. And that was it. It wasn't like worrying about what's next or having people stress about the roadmap. It was just yeah, Halo feels good to play. You, exactly. Sometimes all you need is is, is a few good <laughs> Halo matches. You know, there's nothing yeah. better than that. Anytime, yeah. Anytime I feel down on Halo Infinite, I yeah, I, I just get my hands on it because it's a good game. It's a good game. It, it just needs content. That's it. You know, it's it's the best feeling Halo for sure. Yeah, it, it's yeah. the best. It feels so good to play. Heart, couple super chats here. Hargit Chani says Dead Rising Five as an Xbox exclusive. Yep. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Go back to that well. Dig it up. Uh, yeah, Gold Gold Shell says just saying hi. D4 may be my game of the year. It's great. 
Oh, game of the year already, just based on the beta. Okay. Oh, um, okay, yeah, all right. Assassins is Capcom once again proving not once, but twice this week with RE4 Remake and Exo Primal that they're a top-tier publisher. Warms my heart. Mm. Um, yeah, Capcom, not only are they creating great games right now, but then you see those headlines where they are increasing the employees' pay because of that. And mm. stuff like that is exciting because obviously I want to see these publishers do great, but I want to mm. see these publishers do great for, because of what it means for the people there. And so if mm. a publisher is making a bunch of money, cool, but it's nice that they're you know like using that success and investing in their own people to keep them. Because I think once you get that team that is delivering on this level and you're, you want to mm. keep them around. And so I'm glad yeah. to see that Capcom is actually investing in, in people. No. Yeah, yeah, I love to see Capcom. I wish Square Enix would have the same energy, you know. And Square Enix is popular, is is doing well, but they also have a lot of duds. So it's like Square Enix. Capcom is like the really confident guy uh, that walks into the bar, and the Square Enix is the guy on the first day who's just like trying different personalities, just like trying to do different shit or whatever <laughs> like that. And it's like just try to impress everything. It's like 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 dude, just be yourself, man. Just be yeah. exact. Yeah. Take yeah. a breath and just just be yourself. Yeah. It's cool. Calm down. Be yourself. You, you, you like like you're here. Just 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 do what you just do what you do best, man. You're gonna crush it, I promise. Okay. <laughs> Super chat from Face Twenty Three BKNY says, "I do believe a PS5 Pro will release. Tom Henderson mm. has a good track record, so PS5 and PS5 Pro. And if Xbox releases another console, they will have three SKUs: the Series S, Series X, and the Series XL." <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that naming convention, but uh, too many consoles from Xbox. So yeah, that transitions beautifully into our next topic here, which is exactly. yeah. the mid-generation refreshes because as Face touched on here, Insider Gaming, Tom Henderson over there, put out a report claiming that the PS5 Pro is in development and could be targeting a 2024 release. This comes after some claims that PlayStation was working on a PS5 with a detachable or an external disk drive so they could basically create a cheaper, easier to ship version of the PlayStation 5. So all of this is kind of stacking and now that has got a lot of people talking about, all right, do we need a mid-gen refresh? We've seen them in the past. We've seen the Xbox One X. We've seen the PS4 Pro. That generation arguably started on a, on a a lower note in terms of hardware it was already underperforming out of the gate and a lot of people are looking at the ps5 and the series x and these dev kits and these new engines and saying you know this generation is off to a slow start is this what we need so first off gene do you think playstation is actively planning uh to release a ps5 pro as soon as next year uh, i wouldn't be surprised at all uh you know we, we we just went through that last last year and you know there are different skews that that, that some of these console make, makers make and it's a good way to double the uh, uh have double revenue on, on different skews uh to the point of where we, our generation has been slow you know uh and I don't think that the full potential of either the PS5 or the Xbox series consoles have been uh, unlocked yet so yeah, I think it that's is a little, safe to say. Yeah, yeah. So it is a little bizarre to think like, okay, well, now we need a more powerful PS5. And it's like, well, you know, God of War Ragnarok wasn't even... God of War Ragnarok was a big game for PS5 last year. And it was a PS4 game. I'm sorry, you know? Uh, yeah, it, 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 was, it ran on it the PS4 pretty, just fine. <laughs> and it ran really well on the PS4. So like, you know, shout out to Sony Santa Monica and, and, and the Sony first-party studios. They really know the PlayStation uh, architecture inside out. Uh, but 
it was still really really held back by by just being a PS4 game. Um, and so, when are we gonna start seeing PS5 games? And and would that would they even take advantage of the pro? Are like we don't need 8K. You know who has 8K uh, TVs out here? You know, uh, uh, not me. That's too rich for yeah. my blood, man. Same here, man. That. And and I I don't know if I even well maybe I would tell the difference after I I saw it. You know, like I I used to say I couldn't tell the difference between 120 hertz and 60 hertz. And then once I started actually playing in 120 hertz, I was like, okay, I actually see it. Yeah. Then but, once you're on the other side of it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. Feel yeah. It. I feel not, it now. Well, but a lot of us aren't on the other side of it yet, you know. Uh, but it's different than the the PS4 Pro generation, where a lot of us were did have 4K sets. A lot of us did have 4K sets for a long time. It was nice to finally get a, a skew, the the Pro and the Xbox One X, and that the Xbox One X was my re-entry into Xbox ecosystem. You know, Xbox nice. One obviously uh, was that you know I didn't feel like I needed it, you know. But once uh, the Xbox One X came out, I was like, okay, that looks interesting. And Red Dead Redemption 2 is 4K on that one and not yeah. on the PS4 Pro. Yeah. So I actually bought the Xbox One X just to play Red Dead Redemption 2 in 4K. And it still looks amazing. I still think it looks great in 30 FPS. It's great. And that's when I was able to finally go back and play like the old, like Dead Rising 3, Rise, like like all the classics. Yeah, like, all, all the know, classics. All, all the classic Xbox One exclusive, Quantum Break. You know? Crimson Dragon, dude. Did you go into yeah. that one? I didn't. I have not gotten into that okay. one. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I did play Quantum Break. I love that one too. Halo Five, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it could be a reason for folks. May, yeah, but that's a very niche audience. Of the Xbox One X, it was also a niche, a niche audience too. But it could be a way for folks who have been waiting to be like, okay, well, maybe now I can jump into PS Five or Xbox, and you know, I might as well just get the the, the bigger version as well. But um, yeah, I don't. I, next year seems early, at least in terms of the market. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do release it though. Um, but. I don't know what they would do, but then I, the reason why I don't, I'm not surprised, I wouldn't be surprised because they released PSVR 2 and no one was, was really asking for a new <laughs> VR headset. You know? They bet a lot on the PSVR 2. Yeah, they bet a lot and they're, they're, they're selling it for a lot and nobody's talking about it right now, you know? It, doesn't, um, it definitely doesn't have the same pop, I feel like, that the original had. Because I feel like yeah. when that was like a, a, you know, a novel idea in the console space, like, oh, wow, a video game console with VR. Outside mm -hmm. of the uh, it's fun, Virtual yeah. Boy, we haven't seen that. So mm -hmm. that was exciting. It was new. PlayStation was massive. at the, I mean, PlayStation still is massive, but PS4 was at, at its peak. Like, PS4 mm -hmm. was just the, the console to have. Everyone had it. And mm -hmm. so it's interesting to think about the PlayStation 5 Pro coming as soon as next year. Um, because like we touched on, most of these games haven't even had the native versions on these consoles. Mm -hmm. A lot mm -hmm. of these games that are being developed in Unreal Engine 5 haven't shipped. We haven't really seen what's coming. And so the idea of a PlayStation 5 Pro from PlayStation, well, I, I could see it. Um, and I imagine it would be a way to take back the quote-unquote power dynamic because, you know, there's been speculation and people quote-unquote insiders who've talked about PlayStation being caught off guard by not only the dual SKU spec of the Xbox Series X and S, but the fact that the power that they're putting into the Series X, as it were. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people are saying that, you know, 
that was the reason. And so I could see PlayStation being like, hey, well, here's the PlayStation 5 Pro if you want the most powerful console. And then I could see them just using the digital edition just and saying, all right, well, here's the digital edition. And we're selling a disk drive if you want that as well. And so they'll, they'll be more in line with Xbox with like two primary uh-huh. SKUs in some way. Um, and now we'll be able to have like a cheap $350-ish hypothetically priced console. Um, mm-hmm. But with that being said, if this is hypothetically what the plan is, Xbox is also probably going to have to be doing something as well then. None, none of this stuff doesn't happen in a bubble and this stuff mm-hmm. doesn't really happen without context from a competitor. So do you think Xbox would then answer and we'd get more Xbox SKUs? As soon as next year, Xbox seems to be the platform holder that that loves to have different SKUs. You know, uh, the more, more more than Nintendo even. And Nintendo is the one that came up with a new Nintendo 3DS XL. So you know, uh, Nintendo oh. is the one. Who, Nintendo is the one who actually had the XL uh, uh, thing, not Xbox. So, um, and but Xbox has always been a fan of having different SKUs. You know, going back to uh, was it the, the original Xbox didn't have a different Xbox, but. Uh, Xbox 360 did. Xbox yeah, 360. Xbox 360 had two. Has several different visions, you know. Was no, the Elite wasn't at launch, right? No, the Elite wasn't at launch, or was it at launch? Now I'm now I'm questioning that rollout. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting. But there was there was the one without the hard drive, and there was one with the hard drive. Of course, we you know we all got the, got the one with the hard drive, and then there was the 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 black one, and then there was the Xbox 360e at the at the very tail yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one is slick. I still have that one out I, in the living room. It's. I, I don't, I don't have that one. I want, I want to get one. I want to get one just, to, just, to, just to collect it, you know, um, and just to have a good Xbox 360 going on, you know, in, in the house. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So it does feel like Xbox uh, would would probably do that too. Um, you know, I'm not going to touch the Series S. Uh, the the conversation about whether it's holding the generation back or not. I'm not a developer, but. You know, it does seem interesting that it'll be for different SKUs. But then, then again, you know, if you're developing for PC, you're always doing that anyways, you know. You're developing for the 490 cards and the, and the 1080 cards too, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing that I see a lot of people talk about. Obviously, there, yeah, there is the, the belief that the Series S is potentially holding back development. But then again, if they're developing games for PS4, that's, that's not the case because there's a notable yeah. difference between the Xbox One and the Series S just across the board in terms of Absolutely. performance and what it can do. And like you said, developers are targeting low-spec, mid-spec, and high-spec PCs. So theoretically, the Series S should fall in there. And now we have developers, because of the success of the Steam Deck, they're targeting the Steam Deck as well. Mm-hmm. And you, mm-hmm. That hardware is phenomenally uh, lower-performing than the Series S hardware, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's all of these dynamics and all these variables, and you see people say, well, this is holding back the gen, or we can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. Are we really going to have a world where, with these mid-gen refreshes, we're going to have the Xbox Series S Pro, the Xbox Series X Pro, and the Xbox Series S and X together? Like, if they did a mid-generation refresh, would it only be for the Series X, I guess, is more what I'm saying. I think it would probably just be for Series X. I think I think we would just have to be like, you know what, the Series S is just what it is, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it would have to be an Xbox One Series X or whatever we would call it. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I like what they're going with the series uh, naming convention. Um, I wish they didn't call it an Xbox One to Xbox One. That's that's it. So. Yeah, Um. When they first announced the, the, the naming convention, the Series S and the Series X, my initial thought was, 
well, this feels like they're trying to like get on beat with like phone marketing and that kind mm-hmm. of like, this is the S series. This is the X series. Here's the X pro. Here's the X two. Here's the X ultra. However, they want to decide to move forward. But I felt like when they did the series S and X, they said, this is the, the groundwork for how we're going to iterate on hardware. And originally mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe because they're doing that, they're going to iterate on hardware faster. And we're going to have like cell phone subscriptions. And they had Xbox All Access, which literally was a two-year subscription service. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, are they going to crank out like mm-hmm. new consoles every two years that are iterative up- upgrades? Mm-hmm. And so if this report from Tom Henderson is true and PlayStation is actively working on a PlayStation 5 Pro... I don't imagine that Xbox is going to sit by because they've already said, like, we will not be beat on price and power. Like, that's their mm-hmm. whole messaging messaging mantra for this generation. So if PlayStation is trying to get the power dynamic back, then Xbox has to go to the drawing board and put out an, a console that's even more powerful because mm-hmm. that's like that's a selling point point for their portfolio right now. So. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this, this room or this report from from inside insider gaming about this, because. The timing seems way too convenient, given everything that happened the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head in terms of like mobile marketing too, because Sarah Bond is is, a, is an alumni of of T Mobile. Ah, and was, okay. You know, and what she was able to do there was was having all these different like payment plans and everything like that, and like you can see that being adopted across the Xbox. So it'll be, man, it'd be like I wouldn't be surprised if Xbox came out with their Pro version console first at the if they announced it first before PS Five, you know. I feel like Xbox likes Xbox has found a good strategy in terms of being first. You know that that's what they did with the Xbox 360, and uh, they, they were they were they were not first uh, when it came to the PS4 and and the Xbox One. I think I I, I, I they, they, it came around at the same time, but I think Xbox does see some, you know, and they announced the Xbox Series X first before the, the PlayStation Five. You know, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if if they have something cooking and they just came out with a with a new machine. Holiday twenty twenty three Xbox Series X Pro. The, 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 watch Jeff Keighley will probably have it. So oh Jeff God! Uh, will have it. Yeah. So I guess I have to ask then. Like I know the average person wouldn't want refreshes every couple of years, but would you? Would you buy if PlayStation and Xbox were like we're gonna iterate every two years? Would you be in line every two years to upgrade? Of course, because I'm that guy. Because 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 I'm an enthusiast. Because because you know, like like I I have friends who buy the new iPhone every year. Like they like we obviously we're obviously way past the point where you need a new iPhone like every year. Probably just need to get one like every five years. But I still have friends who get one every year. So I'm that version of the, of of that guy, <laughs> you know. And like the iPhones are more expensive than than these fucking consoles, which is crazy, right? Uh, but yeah, I like if they just sold a six hundred dollar PS Five Pro, I'd just be like, yeah, totally. You know, like like I, I would ask Sony to send me one, basically. Um, but, but would I would I would I buy one? I probably still would because I bought the PS Four Pro right away as soon as soon as the Xbox One X landed. I, I bought that right away too. Um, yeah, as soon as the, the PS Four Pro, the concept of a PS Four Pro, I was like, I want that. I want I want the most powerful PS Four. That'd be awesome. Yep. When they did that for the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, as soon as I saw that power marketing, I was like, yeah, all right, I need, mm-hmm. I need my, because again, I could just go PC and deck out a PC, but I'm just, I've been a console heathen. And you touched mm-hmm. on all of the iterative Nintendo consoles. I was so terrible with the 3DS. Mm-hmm. I was so, I bought every single iteration of the 3DS. And so yeah, I know I, that too, I would do the same know? with Xbox. Anything that Xbox put out or PlayStation put out or Nintendo put out, I'd buy it. 
And, I have and, five and, Nintendo Switches. You know, five? Like, why? They're all the same system. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like there's no power differential between any of them, and I still have five of them. So like you know, so like yeah, like I I would I would get a PS Five if, if there was any kind of power differential. Like I, I would get a PS Five Slim. You know. If, yeah. Like, like, like if it if it had no power differential at all, you know, and I already have an Xbox Series S and X, you know, Same. I have both. Same. You know? I already, I already have the Series X and S, and if they did two iterative refreshes of both, I would buy both. And yeah, again, I'm part of the Xbox. problem. Sure, maybe I'm, you know, facilitating this unnecessary need to upgrade, but, um, I do really wonder with with these reports coming out, like, what the actual timing is going to be. I think a lot of us. Th- originally went into this generation expecting a mid-gen refresh potentially sooner just because of the nature of the industry having those hardware marketing pops but then when there was the chip shortage when games were getting delayed all of these things were up in the air i think a lot of us reevaluated how they would approach that and now according to this it seems like maybe they're not maybe they're going full steam ahead we had a plan for a ps5 pro x number of years afterwards we're still doing it it's still going to hit the shelves so well, we I'll might have a world, Gene, where we have the PS5 Pro and the new Switch launching. And then again, maybe maybe even Xbox in the mix. So there's a now there's a world where all three of those things are happening in the next year. Yeah, yeah. We'll just be broke motherfuckers for the for next year. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um quick shout out to Assassin who gifted five channel memberships. Appreciate you. That's awesome. Huge shout hey. out to the folks who got that. Appreciate hey. all your support for the show. Gene, are you ready to talk about the Activision Blizzard acquisition? Never. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to spend too much time on it because we talked about it in depth last week. We talked about the big developments. Every single week, there's there's headlines, there's drama surrounding it. There have been some developments this week, and I'll give you the cliff notes. Basically, uh, PlayStation's mad that they're losing Call of Duty, and Xbox is making good faith deals with a bunch of companies to say, hey, we're still going to play nice. Here's a 10-year contract for you. Here's a 10-year contract for you. Who else wants one? And they're going to every single cloud partner that they can and, and signing these deals to say, hey, we're, we're chill. We're good. It's going to be easy breezy. No, nothing, nothing to look at here. Um, PlayStation on the other side, just, just screaming about Call of Duty. Like That is the one point that they are just banging home so hard is that, well, we might lose Call of Duty, and that's bad for the entire games industry. Where are you at with just the state of all these all of these developments in the deal itself? Uh, you know what? Uh, I am have barely been paying attention to it. Uh, you're, mostly you're... because, mostly because not because not necessarily I'm tired of it, and I am tired of it, but mostly because I'm more interested in how these things affect the creativity of video games, you know, and the, the creation of video games. And right now, the you know this whole deal is in such a limbo. It's really hard to tell, like what 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 it'll what what it means for anything, you know. What does this mean for the future Call of Duty? What does this mean for you know, other Activision Blizzard games uh, going forward? You don't know that, and, and there's nothing really going on there. So that's kind of the reason why I haven't really been paying attention because I am less interested in the business side. I I don't I don't. There's a reason why I'm I'm in the style section in the Washington Post and not the business section. Uh, I would. I don't want to be a business reporter. I've been a business reporter. Um, it's it's boring as shit. I hate it. <laughs> uh, I, I do not like reporting on business. You know, I, 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 you won't catch me on Bloomberg. You know, uh, uh, the 
at, at the Bloomberg terminal. That's not just that's just not stuff that I'm interested in. So mostly that's just where I'm at with with the ABK deal and in terms of paying attention and whatever firebombs Lulu Cheng Messervi decides to throw out on the on the Twitter timeline. We're mutuals, so that, that that's she's she's probably like 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 you know my 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 information line right now in terms of like where like how things are going and you know, how frantic she's she's uh, re responding to things and I'm like okay well maybe I should do that. maybe I should be paying attention to this too so. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely been uh, very vocal about the deal, and she's definitely had some <laughs> some fun retorts with people reporting on the deal and their uh, yeah, their, yeah, their yeah, inaccuracies yeah. about the deal. She's calling out the, the the journalists, and it's like, wow, you know, like it's it's an interesting tactic. Uh, it's it's it feels like it's it's ripped straight out of politics, the politics uh, handbook of just calling out journalists because uh, you know the games industry has never really done that. But Lulu comes from the Substack community. Uh, where she <clears throat> was engaged with a lot of like political writers over there too, so I think she she kind of like learned or absorbed or you know was part of that 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 ecosystem of of how to engage the, the information ecosystem of how to engage with information like 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 with the public. So she's doing interesting things in terms of like what communications is doing. So that's why I pay attention. But that's why I pay attention to her. Yeah, it's been an interesting saga to watch unfold, and I'm glad you touched on like. One of the more interesting conversations for me is what this all means for the games and the people making the games on the other side of it. Because, you know, the, the selling point of Xbox Game Studios right now has been these teams will be empowered to make the best games that they can. They'll have more resources. They'll have more time. And that idea to me is exciting. When I hear a company, even though they are a, you know, multi-million, multi-billion dollar company say like, hey, come work for us. It's, it's good for you. I also understand it's good for their business. They're trying to make money at the end of the day, but I still want to see these companies invest in the people and Activision right now, we know isn't the gold standard of where to work or how to handle employees. Activision mm -hmm. Blizzard are, have been in the headlines for years because it doesn't seem like generally speaking, it's the best place to work in the games industry because of leadership, because of all of the ways they've handled, you know, these sexual misconduct allegations, the way they've handled unions in the past. It doesn't sound like the, the most, you know, the, the best place to create. And so mm -hmm. you have a lot of talented, passionate people there. And I think about, you know, what this deal could mean on the other side. If they do have a, a place where they're better supported, have more time, they don't have to worry about putting out an annual call of duty every single year, because if we don't, Activision can't sustain itself. And that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the situation that they put themselves in. Um, I get excited about what that means for some of these IP and some of these teams who can have the freedom to create. And so... Like you said, the business element of it, like, I want a business to be healthy because, like you said, what it could potentially mean for the games. But otherwise, Absolutely. I'm not invested. Like, I don't care how much more money or how much less money you're, you're making because that doesn't impact me. But when mm -hmm. it starts impacting the teams, that's when, it's, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, part of it is that I'm not really interested in that many Activision Blizzard games. Obviously, Diablo is, Diablo is the only Blizzard game that I actually like. Um, and it's, as far as the Activision side, you know, I like Call of Duty. I, I, I play Call of Duty every once in a while. Um, I haven't actually played, I haven't touched Modern Warfare 2 at, at all, uh, which is crazy. Uh, I'm usually totally down to play the campaigns, but I haven't touched it at all this, this time around. I do plan to eventually, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's exactly like you said. Like, I just want to know how, how this will affect the teams and how, how this will affect the development cycles going forward. Uh, but none of those answers can be really none of those questions can be answered right now because everything is just in very procedural. So part of the reason I used to be a court reporter, 
right? Uh, I do think that some of the coverage of the the ABK deal is a little too granular, and 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 some of these stuff you don't need to report on because it's just procedural stuff, you know. Um, every quote is like a headline for a day. Every basically. quote is a headline, and it doesn't need to be that. I'm not even sure how well these stories are doing for people, but I, but I guess they must be doing well for like folks like 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 other sites. They have to but, be because my god, the number of headlines we see about just the most benign things in this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but like you know, like when you want to report on in in what's going on in courts and like public documents, you don't need to like do every little thing, you know. Uh, But it is important to like you know find out like what the CMA feels like and like what the FTC uh, what was 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 feeling too. Those are big, significant like 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 milestones within this process. But in between that, there's there's a lot that that that. That's just kind of noise, you know, and that that a lot of that stuff I'm just tuning out because like I know that's not important, you know, and I know that it will be pretty inconsequential, you know. A lot of these quotes that people are throwing around, it's like that that that, that these are lawyers. That's not Jim Ryan saying it, you know. These are lawyers are that that are that are trying to speak for Jim Ryan, you know, but they're saying things in their in their own way, and they'll just say what whatever, you know. So yeah, that's what I think. What's been interesting is when we look at God the. Like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and these exactly. other trials that we like can't look away from. And we see all the little details, all of the arguments. And then you mm-hmm. realize like some of this stuff is so petty just across mm-hmm. the board. Like mm-hmm. they're really trying to leverage themselves and their position in whatever way they can, in any way they can. And that mm-hmm. makes everything very like dramatic and inflammatory when like really they just want this case to go the way that they want. And they have <laughs> anecdotal details that they can share oh no we we're we're doomed we can't do this like this can't happen Mm -hmm. and then microsoft on the other side saying man like how do we compete like this is how we can actually compete with playstation who's just been dominating us guys look at this graph chart they're just kicking our ass over here Mm -hmm. what are we supposed to do and so yeah a lot of it is like you said procedural and it's just we get this big beat over and over and it's just it's, it's exhausting so when there is it's like a, exhausting. when there is an actual yeah. big beat when somebody's like, "Hey, I think we're gonna block this," that becomes you know uh, that the impact is just lowered because I'm just so tired of the entire situation. I'm like, oh god, yeah, exactly. To be done. That's why you never see me covering it because it's just like you know, like I'll I'll wait till there's a decision. I'll cover that, you know. So. Mm-hmm, exactly, and then uh, and, and again, I don't mean to throw other reporters' work on uh, under the bus. Like, like uh, if that's that's what it sounds like, I apologize. I'm just saying, you know. A lot of this is pretty procedural and, you know, good for you guys for, for staying on top of it. But, you know, it's not for me. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, obviously yeah. I'm running an Xbox podcast. I'm in the games industry. So it's interesting. I do generally... You have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because you're serving a niche audience. So you have it's to do that. You know? Genuinely yeah. interesting what it could mean, what the implications can be. But um, I don't have the energy to dive into every headline every day uh, to yeah. dissect like a quote from Jim Ryan or Lena Khan or whoever about what this means. and. Yeah, and it's definitely something that I can't even cheer for because I'm just I'm I'm just a journalist. I can't be like, yeah, I want Microsoft to do this or I want Sony to do that, you know. Uh, and plus, I'm a Nintendo fanboy. That's pretty much. It. <laughs> <laughs> if I do have a bias, it's Nintendo. You know? <laughs> oh man! All right, so we're gonna jump into some community Q and A that's that's related here to this. This is from Neo Nuke who says, "Do you think the way Lulu from Activision does her messaging is refreshing and human?" Or is a try-hard way of memeing and hello fellow kids way of swaying the gamers to accepting the corporate side of this merger? Uh, that's a great question, and we kind of touched on it earlier. Uh, 
I do think that her intent is to be refreshing in a human. Uh, and uh, I've watched a lot of her previous uh, appearances on podcasts and like like talks. I'm, I'm I'm interested in her as as a as a spokesperson, and because I do find her communication style very interesting, and I do see that it's very consistent with how she views things. She does want to say things in a very blunt way. Uh, she believes in in the idea of saying things imperfectly, uh, rather than perfectly. Uh, because she believes that 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 is more human, like and people would relate to you more if you if you kind of mess up in your messaging. So that's why when she was tweeting about, you know, how Sony is quote unquote the first of us, like that, like like first of all, that tweet fucking broke my brain because of, of how bad it was. It's really really cringy, right? It's super cringy, <laughs> but I think she, I think she intended it to to be that cringy. You know, I I think she knew how stupid Sony <laughs> is the first of us sounds. And she says, "I'm going with it because I because 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 I because I'm still thinking about it to, to this day. You know, that's how effective her message was. That it was so stupid. But I'm still thinking about it today. I I think that's the intended effect. Like like you remember what I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. First, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, but if she says something else about like how oh how Sony is doing this, how Sony's that, we we probably would wouldn't remember it at all. So I do think that what she's doing is very intentional. That she does want to." To stick her message in our, in our brains somehow, and her attempt is to kind of just kind of, yeah, like she she's aware that she's doing a fellow kids thing. I think I, I think I think there's a difference between doing the fellow kids cringe stuff and being a little bit aware of of of, of the cringe that you're posting and 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 cringe cringe posting with intention. You know, you know, I think we all deserve the freedom to cringe post every once in a while. That's Absolutely. where I stand. You know, I see yeah. people say like, oh, well, she's a lawyer. She shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. And yeah, maybe there's a certain way you should historically carry yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I think I agree that she, right now she's just trying to win the court of public opinion. And if she mm-hmm. feels like the messaging beat is like, hey, people on the internet are mad at Sony because they're making this deal take longer and people just want to be on the other side of it. She can mm-hmm. post a meme with the, the, the dude sticking the stick in his bike spokes and falling over. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that was kind of funny. That's, but look, that's PlayStation. This this talk about how a lawyer should conduct themselves. Where have you been for the last few years? Have you not seen the lawyers how, and how they conduct themselves in the in, in the political in the U.S. political news cycle? Like like they've been like, you know, look at look look at Rudy Giuliani is a lawyer and look at how he was conducting himself, right? Uh huh. So so. This idea that that she should be all buttoned up and everything like that—it's gone. It's gone. She she she's she's doing what the modern information news ecosystem rewards, you know. Yeah, and so you can either be in touch with that and understand what you're doing, uh, lean into the 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 audience and the community, and whether or not her intention or is genuine, I don't know. I can't really say. I imagine probably in, in some capacity, but. I also understand that she's looking out for the best interests of Activision Blizzard. And yeah, this, the shareholders that want the sale to go through, you know? Exactly. She has, you know, people are going to be very upset and there's going to be a lot of money at stake if this deal doesn't go through. So it's in her best interest to, you know, get get the people on her side, get the gamers on her side and be like, hey, there's an easy fix here, PlayStation. Ball's in your court. Everyone mm-hmm. else is being cool. Why are you being so uncool about Call of Duty? And I guess that'll yeah. be my final question about this topic for you is why is PlayStation so fixated on Call of Duty of 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 everything in this deal? That is the they don't care really about the cloud. 
I shouldn't say they don't care, but they're not they're not screaming about the cloud. They're screaming about Call of Duty. I think it's less because you know we all know that Call of Duty is going to be on PlayStation. Come on, you know uh, that's not the issue here. I think the issue is they just don't want to see Xbox succeed. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I. That's it. Like, 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 like they, they just don't want Xbox to get any more, any more power. You know, uh, if 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 Xbox was trying to acquire Super Mario, which would never happen, like I feel like Sony would also try to do something to stop that too. Um, I think it's really not not less about like what we can keep for Sony, but what we can take away from Xbox. Um, and that's why all of these delays and all of these arguments or whatever is just draining Xbox's legal re- legal sources resources, and it's infinite. You know, Xbox, it's Microsoft, right? Yeah, they have but, a, a scoop but, on. But, but it's but they're they're wasting a lot of time on this too, and time is money. You know, uh, the the more the leadership is distracted by this, the the, the less that they'll they'll be focused on other stuff too. So, and that's that's interesting. That's an interesting idea and an inter- interesting topic. Regarding this deal that we don't really talk about is that, you know, this could be a PlayStation business play that says we understand this is going to be expensive legally for Microsoft. And if we can continue to drag this out for as long as possible, like that's X number of dollars that they can't invest into games or or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And it could be that it could be something as like kind of cutthroat and ruthless as that is that we're just trying to drag this out for as long as we possibly can because we want it to cost Microsoft a lot of money as as a punishment for you taking Call of Duty because a lot of it is like PlayStation looks at not that distant past and looks at the 360 looks at what Call of Duty did for the Xbox 360 generation. It did, yeah, yeah. It won it over Mindshare. It won over a lot of, in the U.S. in particular, that was the, the dominating platform. 360. I've always thought of Call of Duty, Call of Duty as an Xbox game. I always yeah. have. Then the yeah. Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 hype surrounding that and the, having the exclusive content for 360, like everyone was playing Xbox. Everyone was playing Xbox in the U.S. And that was just this huge thing. And PlayStation coming off the back of the PS2 somehow fumbled the ball with the PS3 mm-hmm. and they they felt it. They felt that market share slip. And I think they don't, they understand what this could mean again they for Xbox. They never want that to happen again. They in never the US. want that to happen again. Yeah. And so I think they're doing, yeah, everything in their power to ensure that Xbox has no opportunity to kind of steal that mind share and market share back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because, you know, Xbox was known as a shooter platform. But, you know, that might have narrowed their audience, but it also expanded their audience within the, within, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote hardcore gamers or the people, or not even hardcore gamers. You know, there's a lot of casual players who just play Call of Duty and that's it, you know? Yeah. And they bought an uh, Xbox because that was where you played Call of Duty. Because, because the Xbox Live ecosystem was better. Xbox Live just worked better. A lot of people were on Xbox Live. You know, nobody was really on PSN back in the day. Uh, it, was, it really wasn't until PS4 that, 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 that the multiplayer for, on the PlayStation side started to get more standardized, you know? Mm-hmm. I have Diablo on f- 3 on PlayStation 4, you know? On the Xbox, you know? That's, that's strange. Uh, but, you know, my friends were on PS4 at that time. But in the, in the, in the seventh generation, the 360 generation, it was always Xbox. Nobody was playing on PlayStation 3. I'm sorry. And it was, yeah. we, we saw a weird shift. Yeah, because that, that, yeah. there was a divide when the Xbox One and PS4 were out because a lot of my friends who had played on 360 primarily just got a PlayStation. And they're mm-hmm. like, it's and weird. there wasn't, yeah. cross-play wasn't really a thing at the time. So there was this hard divide between like, our core group who played every night mm-hmm. and some of our buddies we'd played stuff like Halo and Call of Duty with, they were on PlayStation 4 and we couldn't couldn't play together. 
And that yeah, really, all of a sudden like, I just wasn't playing Halo with my buddies anymore because nobody had an Xbox One, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that fun. it didn't have that same energy that the three launch and the reach launched, where it was like, yo, everyone already has an Xbox. We're playing some Halo, baby. Mm-hmm. It became you have to convince your friend to buy an Xbox so you can play Halo now. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately a lot of those games are on PC, but yeah, I, I, I just don't have friends to play on Xbox anymore, which sucks, you know. Oh, so Xbox is closing some ground, I think, in a lot of ways. And when I look at this deal, when I look at Call of Duty in particular, PlayStation has also just had this consistent revenue stream that is Call of Duty. And that was like money for little. I mean, they would spend millions on marketing every year. Don't get me wrong. They would spend millions on, you know, exclusive maps and content. But they weren't paying for development in most cases. They weren't paying for a bulk of this. So what this was is, hey, everyone has a PlayStation. Everyone's buying Call of Duty, so they're going to buy Call of Duty on PlayStation, and we get that 30% revenue cut. Boom. All of these Call of Duty sales, that's just free money for us every Mm -hmm. single year. And then when Mm -hmm. you have a possibility where, oh, it's still going to be on PlayStation, but what if PlayStation isn't the dominating console anymore? What if Mm -hmm. more people look at Game Pass, look at the value of Xbox, and play Call Mm -hmm. of Duty on Xbox? Then we are losing that huge chunk of guaranteed revenue every single year. We don't you do want bring that. up. You do really bring up a great point about how Call of Duty was so in, was so uh, foundational for the the success of the Xbox 360. So if Xbox once again was able to regain its 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 uh, notoriety or its 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 being known for being a Call of Duty console, that's 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 a huge blow to PlayStation. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's especially, that's some... especially since the PlayStation is still in the first party doesn't have multiplayer games and they want they're trying to change that maybe they're, they're overdoing it by doing 10 live service games and i really hope that they're that they're reevaluating that that strategy but you know playstation isn't really known for its multiplayer games you know at least in the first party side you know it's it's call of duty <laughs> they rely on they rely on third party street fighter street fighter 5 they rely on third parties for their for the multiplayer games fortnite you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> whereas xbox at, le- at the very least xbox has had that history of having solid multiplayer games, Forza, Forza Horizon, you know. Yeah, uh, that Forza Horizon Five, that was huge. That was that one was of huge. The, that was the first Game Pass drop where I remember seeing people who, first off, never played like racing games at all, and mm-hmm. I never see them post about Xbox. I saw all of these people posting about Forza Horizon Five and like mm-hmm. playing it via Game Pass, and that was like one of the first moments where I'm like, this does have huge potential to make these games explode. That mm-hmm. that, that was the biggest Forza launch Absolutely, by a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and you saw that exactly with Forza, you know. So it's like they just need Xbox. If Xbox is able to keep that energy up, then they'd be in a good place. They just haven't been able to keep that energy up, you know. Uh, but it was really great the end of the year with Forza and Halo uh, dropping early. Like it really felt like for a little bit. Like yeah, Xbox, baby, let's go. That's why I was coming back, and then Infinite dropped, and you know, her, 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 Forza Horizon would do its thing, you know, but. It was really supposed to be a Halo Infinite that was supposed to. Be. That's why I, I'm not surprised that the Game Pass numbers not being what they want it to be because I'm sure that if they suspect that Halo Infinite would be successful, that the numbers would be higher. But it wasn't. So. Yeah, it wasn't the big must-play title that they really kind of needed it to be to grow it's the service. The live but... I look. I I, I love I love Fortnite. I played Fortnite for like three four years. I spent like hundreds of dollars on it, and I was like, you know what, Halo Infinite. I'm I'm switching over to Halo Infinite when it comes out. You know, and then what I did. I was like, I guess I'm going back to Fortnite because you're <laughs> man. That sucks. You know, I, I, I made the joke previously, but there was a point in time where I had more fun 
playing as Master Chief in Fortnite than I did yeah. playing Halo yep. Infinite. And I was like, yeah, I Master Chief is actually Master Chief is actually my skin, my go-to skin for Fortnite. Yep. As soon as Master Chief dropped, I was like, this is this is the skin. Like, this I don't is, need any. I don't need any other skin in Fortnite. Like, I just need to be a, a fucking Spartan in the Fortnite universe. Dropping in the Pelican, just oh man, oh so cool. So it's so yeah. It's, so I only play as Master Chief in Fortnite, wishing that wishing that Halo was as good as Fortnite. You know. But I've always looked at Fortnite as kind of a successor to Halo anyways, you know. Fortnite does feel like a massive arena shooter. And just, just you know, mixing in different elements. And, you know, RPG elements, obviously the Battle Royale. I mean, they had that. But, like, the way that the, the craziness and the hectic chaos of, of Fortnite reminds me of old school, of, of old school uh, Halo. Especially with the vehicles and, like, the, the traversal and everything like that. Uh, it really reminded me of old school Halo, and so that's why when Halo Infinite dropped, I was like, okay, this is old school Halo. This is good. You know, let's 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 see some new maps. Let's see some new game game types. And that didn't happen. So, you know. so are you a uh, a big fan of the idea and the possibility of the Halo Battle Royale? Then, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, Everyone's like, oh, I don't know about Halo Battle Royale or Battle Royale. I, I, I do think that Battle Royale might be on its way out in terms of as a trend. But I've always thought that Halo Battle Royale would work so, so well. You know, especially if you have like duos or, 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 or three teams or whatever like that. I was playing Apex Legends and I was like, I wish this was Halo instead. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, Apex Legends is a great game. But when I'm playing Apex Legends, I'm like, I wish I was, I was a Spartan instead. With vehicles, you know, and the Dude, guns that we have. Halo there. has the best vehicles in and the, any and the physics, game. you know, and the physics, the, the the physics in a battle royale. That's the difference, you know. Yeah, because Fortnite has gotten a lot better with physics, but early Fortnite wasn't that yes. impressive in terms of the wasn't the, the physics. It barely type. had any physics, exactly. It barely had any physics. Now, now Fortnite has a lot of that going on, which is fun, and that's why I feel like Halo kind of missed, like missed, missed the boat there. It's like you could have been that first, you know. Where do you stand with? Halo 5's Warzone because I sometimes I oh okay perfect I talked to people who really didn't like Warzone but that was that was the mode for me when I played Halo 5 multiplayer <laughs> I played Warzone and that was it and I loved it and yeah. I was waiting for Halo Infinite to have its answer to that because I don't well, need I, even... I don't need it to have a battle royale per se but I need it to have a huge open zone like the war zone felt like a halo war like everything was happening there yeah. was bombs explosions chaos and a lot just... of there's a lot of push and pull between the teams there's yeah. pve aspects it's so good war they really really did a good job with war zone i was so surprised that that and they they, they get that feedback they know that people love war zone people have played it and like Inf infinite could have been a great chance to bring that war zone concept to a, a broader audience that's what they wanted right they want the broader audience right that's what he told the Washington Post is actually the source of that quote from Bonnie Ross, you know. Uh, but they wanted that broader audience. You could you could have brought Warzone to that broader audience, and and the, and people would discover how great Warzone was and how unique it was as 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 a game mode. And it was very very good for Halo. And it's shocking that they still don't have that in Infinite. It's weird. And and yeah, the maps were massive. They're they, they were always sectioned off. There were different bases. You always felt like you were on a journey. Yeah, you're fighting war, fighting a war zone, you know, and it's never too big. It's never like war zone and Call of Duty, you know. But so that that's why it always felt like controlled, good chaos, which is what always Halo is, right? That's good yes. Halo. Yes, our best memories of Halo are playing with friends and 
there's just explosions and noise and, and cars colliding and tanks colliding and like chaos is, is what separated Halo from other shooters. Bodies like, flying from the from from, from yeah, the sky or whatever. Grenades, cars flipping, bodies flying. Yeah. Like the, like you said, the physics really are what have always elevated Halo. And to see that potential with Halo Infinite, I would love to see that blown up to a bigger scale. Cause when they did big team battle, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. That's my preferred game mode. Yeah, but in this day and age, their big team battle didn't feel that big because the the landscape has changed quite a bit. So it was it's the maps are pretty small. I, I it, is, it is disappointing. Like I have to pretend that I'm in a b bigger war zone than I'm than I'm at. But like yeah, the, <laughs> the big team battle maps are actually kind of tiny. Yeah, and it's again back in the day that felt everything felt like Blood Gulch felt massive. This Blood huge sprawling felt space, so massive. Yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> Now, in this day and age, because we've seen Fortnite, we've seen Apex Legends, we've seen all these other games blow up the shooter and say, boom, here's a massive world that you can explore. When we got to the big team battle maps, I was like, well, this is cool. This is this is fun. This is classic Halo. It feels great to play. It feels like an old Halo game, yeah, which is fine. But, you know, like it, like to recapture that, it, it needs to do what Resident Evil, the Resident Evil remakes do. is like expand things, but but it still feels like that old feeling of like you know you're on this like long like big battlefield or this long journey or whatever like that you know like Resident Evil 4 remake still has the same uh, the rooms but like the rooms are bigger the houses are fucking bigger you know uh that that so it still maintains that sense of scale that we had in 2005 modernized that's what it means to modernize the game design you know and with Halo they didn't really do that they just kind of made good Halo maps again which is great fine but again to your point warzone felt like that that real expansion and like yeah you make a great point there's so many other games right now that just feel so much bigger and give that sense of like scale that halo used to give us that blood gulch used to give us you know yeah that, 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 well, that, 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 the, the tundra uh map well, what was it called again oh god uh i'm blanking oh, that was like a dlc map yeah. right yeah, I think so. Yeah, but anyways, yeah, like the old maps from Halo Three too. You know, Blood Gulch and um, I, I don't know the names anymore. But yeah, Blood Gulch obviously is the Blood Gulch was huge back in the day. You know, uh -huh. we we need a Halo game to make us feel that way again. But you can't just remake Blood Gulch. You can't just make Blood Gulch the same size. You know, yeah, like Blood Gulch prettier. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. Our, I will, our brains are bigger now too. You know, so we need we need that. You know. You got a we got a kid. We've seen it. Our, again, we talked about this with the frame rate and stuff and resolution earlier. Once you're on the other side, yeah, it changes it forever. It changes what you yeah. expect. And I see people say yeah. like, "Well, isn't Halo being fun good enough?" And yeah, for some people, I think Halo Infinite being fun is good enough. Like that is the mm -hmm. end goal of a video game most of the time is it should be fun to play. Halo Infinite mm -hmm. is fun to play. I don't have any issues when I'm playing Halo Infinite. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay feels incredible. I love mm -hmm. the feel of Halo Infinite. But then it's not it's also not unfair for people who've seen other games as a service titles, seen other shooters innovate and evolve when it comes to either progression or just multiplayer suites for them mm -hmm. to say this isn't enough for me. And mm -hmm. I I think that's fair. I don't think that's unfair to say that it's, it's very fair. It's very fair. Like you said, the the folks like us, we are on the other side of things, right? Younger folks, they've never been on the the, the side that we've been past. Ex they've always, exactly. They've always been on. They've always been on this side, you know. Ex exactly, and that's that's as much as we want to look at what we want. Mm -hmm. There, there are generations where they look at Halo and say, "That's like the old shooter. Like that's like the old guy yeah, shooter." It's quaint, you know. It's, it's, what, what a small shooter Halo is, and like what a, what a weird thing to think about Halo. It's Halo, you know. But 
that used to have just like commercials and, and banners and just Halo was grocery yeah, stores Halo filled was with Halo Wars. Mountain Dew. Yeah, like yeah, Halo was our Star Wars back in the day, uh -huh. you know? It's, it was it was our Harry Potter. It was our Star Wars. It was our Lord of the Rings, you know. And, and it doesn't have that energy anymore. And it doesn't have that same sense of scale in the gameplay, you know. So yeah, obviously we've harped on Halo Infinite, you know, being disappointing for a lot recently. But again, a lot of that I think comes from the fact that so many of us just love Halo. We love Halo. Combat love Evolved Halo. in particular. We we had that moment where we played a Halo, and it just like you said, there was the before and after. And when mm -hmm. that moment when everything changes, and for a lot of us, we had that moment with Halo. And yeah, so, it's like um, I was doing drugs, you know, when I first played <laughs> Halo. You know, I was like, man, this is like a drug. Yeah, mind-altering you know? experience. Yeah, like, you can do this in a video game. Why? Yeah. Why hasn't this existed until now? Why haven't I experienced this until now? Mm -hmm. And um, again, we those moments are why so many of us, I think, fall in love with games. Is you have that that moment. That mechanic, that level, mm -hmm. that boss fight, whatever it is that just says, changes everything that you expect a game to be. And um, full circle, it, it goes right back to why we love games, right? Coming, coming full circle. All right, that's why we love it, and I think that's gonna do it. We're gonna wrap it up here for this week's episode of Xbox Chatterdays. Gene, thanks so much for taking the time to hang out, man. It was really awesome getting a chance to sit down. And, and talk to you because again this is the longest that we've ever talked outside of some memes on twitter here and there like we haven't had sat down and had a, a long conversation so i appreciate you taking some time out of your saturday to come hang out with me miles i appreciate you uh inviting me on you know uh i, I think our first interaction was was just how positive you are uh for the games industry and i think that's an that's an important asset you know there's so much negativity and bull crap out there so you know your positivity your 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 like 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 you you told me that that, that i have i feel like i have an openness to the games too i see that in you too i think i think we both recognize that in, in each other in terms of how open-minded we are in terms of like different game experiences and different experiences and different platforms as well so uh it's it's a real pleasure to finally you know chop it up with you so yeah thanks, man no so really, so me. really appreciate that and again like yeah we talk about openness and honesty in this space and that's like it's important. It's an important balance because obviously for me, video games and talking about video games, the reason I do it is because I love to do it. It's fun to do it. It's exciting mm -hmm. to do it. And so I try to try to make sure that's a pillar of like what I'm doing. And I see people talk about video games and clearly it's not exciting or they're not interested in it or they're frustrated by it. And it's, it's a hard mentality to get. I, there's hard conversations to have about the games industry, but I've tried to make it a point to, you know, highlight the things that do excite me. Because it's mm -hmm. it's a lot more interesting to talk about what you like than what you don't like. Yeah, it's in your questions. You know, you ask me, you ask me straight up, like, what do you love about video games? You don't ask me what do you hate about video games. What what, what do you think is <laughs> what do you think is the biggest problem in the video games industry today? You yeah, know, you don't ask. That. Yeah, <laughs> like you ask me, you ask me what do you love about video games? You know, that's great. <sighs> All right, well, Gene, thank you so much. Huge shout out to everyone who tuned in, watched the show live. Appreciate you. Huge shout out to everyone who listens to the audio versions as well. We're going to be back next week with the big episode 100. So stay tuned on some details there. But appreciate you all. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>